Hair is so overrated. Sure, at first it grows, but eventually it goes. Be Bald Men Care products have quickly risen to the top of the leaderboard when it comes to skin care for men without. Search the web for bald products and discover what your bald brethren already know. Be Bald products are the single source skin care solution for both your head and face. Listen to what our customers are saying. The Be Bald products are terrific. I'm not entirely bald, but I still use them on my head and my face, and they last an incredibly long time. My wife loves the scent. She said she'd follow it anywhere. I love the scent of the cleanser. I bought it for my boyfriend, and he liked it so much, I bought all the other B-Bald products, too. Thanks, B-Bald. You rock. Go to bbald.com right now to receive an additional 20% off just for trying us. Type in coupon code BBALD at checkout. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D. This offer is only for a limited time. Go to bbald.com. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D.com now. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly source for mixed martial arts talk and discussion of the world beyond. I am Richard Hunter. He is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. And what a big episode we have this week. We've got big news to announce, Frank. Big, big news. Uh, I know you're excited. Big, big news. Uh, I I teased it last week, and uh, it is now time for the unveiling about uh, where the next uh, week or so's travels are going to take phone booth fighting. That is after I remind you that phone booth fighting is brought to you each and every week by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com and Trent Cotney, trentcotney.com, supporting mixed martial artists the world over. Also, be bald. Beball.com. You do not have to be bald to enjoy the skincare products at Beball.com. I am shaving with Beball every single day. It's an enjoyable three-step process, and as heavy as my beard is, yeah, I was just staring at your face jealously. Right yeah, now. yeah, it's uh, it's it's. I look forward to it. It's a really pleasant experience. Now, uh, a lot of times, uh, shaving is kind of a big pain in the ass, but uh, not with Beball. I'm really enjoying it. So thanks for them. Uh, thanks to them for hooking us up with products and uh, being a proud sponsor of the show. Also, a reminder that uh, you can get the podcast, Phone Booth Fighting, on a weekly basis. Subscribe to it in iTunes, on Stitcher, or at phoneboothfighting.com. Head on over to iTunes and uh, give us a five-star rating, if you will, please. It really helps us out, helps us keep the show at the top of the ratings, and helps us grow the program as well. So click on the five stars, and if you have a moment, Maybe uh, write us a favorable review. We like to read some of those on the show. We'll be doing that here in a little bit as well. But the most important thing you can do for us, and I know so many of you are doing it because you've uh, you've communicated with us in various ways to let me know that you are, is tell a friend. Spread the word. Spread the gospel of phone booth fighting. Let everybody know that Frank Mir has his own podcast, and he's uh, got some knucklehead friend of his that uh, co-hosts it with him. And tell them you enjoy it. Tell them they should check it out, too, whether they're a fan of mixed martial arts or just good conversation. Uh, I, I heard from a couple of people, Frank, this past week that said, you know what, I'm, I'm not even an MMA fan. You know, I found out about the podcast some other kind of way, and I enjoy hearing you guys talk passionately about fights, but I also enjoy hearing you talk about politics or current events or music. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we did. The concept is we just 
hang out and talk. And obviously, the premise is we have to talk about MMA, but yeah, we seem to, it's kind of our conversations in uh, hotel rooms and car trips. That's right. We kind of run the gauntlet. This is exactly what it's like uh, just hanging out with us. It's the kind of stuff we talk about every week on less phone cussing. booth fighting. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I try, try to cuss to, a little bit less. Podcasts would be uh, probably uh, twice as long if we, uh, if we allowed that. Follow us on social media. Uh, Instagram at phone booth fighting and Twitter and Snapchat on there. We are phone booth fight. Snapchat is blowing up and uh, we love it. We've only been doing it about a month or so. And I love all the pictures you guys are sending us, showing us what you're doing and where you're doing it while you're listening to phone booth fighting on Snapchat. The username is phone booth fight. And uh, Frank and I love seeing those pictures you guys send us. And we periodically put together little slideshows and post them up on Instagram and Facebook and uh, uh, in fact, um, our our latest edition as of Saturday night was Justin Buckholtz. I ran into him at the post-fight press conference at uh, UFC 199, and uh, we did a little spontaneous Snapchatting. So if you were watching me Snapchatting the uh, – did I say UFC 199? That's uh, this coming weekend. I mean to say uh, fight night from this past weekend at Mandalay Bay. But I Snapchatted that whole thing, and if you want to see the uh, – if you didn't see it live, I saved the video and we'll post it up on – uh, our Facebook page at Phone Booth Fighting so you can see what you're missing. But uh, get with us on Snapchat and uh, you'll uh, you'll get it all uh, first. Like the announcement that uh, you're about to hear and the people who uh, follow us on Snapchat at Phone Booth Fight heard it first. That's where we posted the big news up first. So before we get to our uh, Fight Night Las Vegas recap from this past weekend, before we get to our UFC 199 preview, the big card coming up uh, this weekend, and also audio from Michael the Count Bisbing and Ricardo Lamas. I'll be talking to both those guys uh, later on in the broadcast. We've got some other heavyweight matchups to talk about of consequence. Lots to get to on the show. But, Frank, this this is my lead story of the week. We've, we've been sitting on this for... Couple of weeks now, and I teased last week we were going to make the uh, the big announcement. You and I are hitting the road again. That's first uh, tomorrow. We're actually taping a day early uh, than we normally do because uh, tomorrow we have to uh, pack up the the phone booth fighting urban assault vehicle with all of the gear. <laughs> the Prius. Yep, and uh, <laughs> drive uh, drive up the 15 north to the city of Angels, Los Angeles, California. Once again, where uh, we were, we were last at a, I don't know a little over a month ago for uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational. This time, uh, yeah, I'm going to stick around and cover UFC 199. There's a little matter of a of a uh, middleweight and a, a, a middleweight title fight to attend to at the forum on Saturday night. But the real reason is because Friday afternoon, you and I are going to tape an episode of Phone Booth Fighting inside the home of rock and roll hall of famer paul stanley of kiss very exciting and this happened that's the biggest you smiled in a while too just (laughs) it is the greatest thing i imagine ever coming from being your friend and 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 don't (laughs) don't get me wrong there's other great things about it like there's a lot of drawbacks (laughs) like, like the friendship like the confidence like a shoulder to lean on but i just can't imagine anything quite uh quite eclipsing this this is um look here's the deal paul stanley is my childhood hero um kiss uh was uh kiss captivated me when i was 
seven years old, eight years old, all the way through adulthood. It's what caused me to become a musician. But, I mean, they were my childhood heroes, but particularly Paul Stanley. And uh, I, we discovered on your Twitter feed some months ago that Paul follows you on, not only does he follow you on Twitter, you're his favorite fighter. Well, he writes some pretty cool things to us, too. Yes, he does. Yeah. He was posting before your fight with uh, Todd Duffy. And then uh, Silva was before Duffy, right? Yeah. Okay. So it started, the first time I noticed it was uh, the Antonio Silva fight because he posted like, you know, holy shit or something like that, unbelievable with the knockout because he was watching the fight live and he tweeted it to you. And I happened to see it because you didn't follow him at the time. He followed you and I saw it and I was like, Frank, look at this, Paul Stanley following you on Twitter. So you- Yeah, and usually Twitter's hard to look at right after a fight. Yeah, yeah, and so you- <laughs> Things get lost in the mix. Yeah, and so you DM'd him, you guys started a conversation, it turns out he's a big fan of yours. Then when the Todd Duffy fight came around, he posted like this inspirational good luck image of you on his Instagram and how he was looking forward to the fight that night and all that kind of stuff. And then a big congratulations about the Duffy knockout. And, uh, and, and so you guys get this conversation going on Twitter. Well, I said, Hey, let's see if he'll just, I was hoping for like just a phone in, you know, and let's see if maybe he'll, he'll get involved with the podcast at some point, maybe just call in or something. And he extended the, invita in the invitation and said, why don't you guys just come to my house? Yep. You just set up and uh, I'll co-host an episode with you. So you and I are, uh, I, won't I won't give out his home address, but I'll tell you the zip code is 90210. So you owe me one, huh? So because of me, we'd go to Paul Stanley's house. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so so uh, I, I do owe you one. So you have to be thinking about who that uh, who that person is that I need to hunt down to book a live episode uh, taping at their house, who that person's going to... You don't have to answer now. Yeah. But well, I told I mean, you when yeah. we were sitting there and I was picking my brain of different people that I'm like always been inspired by. Yeah. And there's so many. You know what I mean? Like we could sit here and talk right now. I mean... But I remember being especially inspired by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, you mentioned him. Yeah, because okay. reading about okay. his story that he wrote Rocky. Yeah. That went on to win an Academy Award. Yeah. Guy was living out of his car to have yeah. money for the script and instead of selling out and just handing over the script and having them do it he wanted to star in it and, you know obviously what a pivotal moment in his life but it was awesome to go back and read about how much on the brink of just being homeless this guy was and now you know it turned out to be Sylvester Stallone yeah I mean through determination not birthright he didn't have a grandparent or a father that you know opened a door for him he basically you know bashed right. his way through well, and we have all kind. I mean, I brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger, same kind of mm -hmm. concept of somebody that came over. In fact, he's my uh, my example when people get on athletes about women. Mm -hmm. He's always my example. Mm. Have I told you this? Mm -mm. Here, kind of going off on a tangent. Yeah. But, uh, I get angry when athletes or celebrities um, get caught with women, mm -hmm. extracurricular activity. And not that I'm condoning that behavior. They're hurting uh, somebody that they love. That they've, uh, you know, obviously made a commitment towards, and you shouldn't do that. But that being said, they do, and they don't really in our society. This doesn't seem like we get down on the women. I'm like, hey, for example, like Tiger Woods. You're telling me that nobody knew he had a wife. All these women that were throwing themselves at him didn't know. You know, yeah. uh, <clears throat> you know, he was able to hide it. I mean, some guys, you know, if you're just a normal Joe Blow and maybe a, a well-to-do businessman, 
you might be able to lie to some stewardess or some waitress and you know six months later she finds out you really are married and that's why you travel and don't answer your phone and i'll give her that you know Mm -hmm. she was faked out but any of the women that were celebrities with LeBron James or Tiger Woods or Dwayne Wade, you know, it's like, come on. And I remember when it came up with Arnold, had a child with the maid. Right. showed a picture of her. And my wife was really upset. You know, she's like, how could he cheat on Maria Shriver or Kennedy mm-hmm. with that? What also sucks is your wife fired the maid the same day. And that, right. she didn't do anything. Well, you know? <laughs> we'll never hire a hot maid. I mean, we got like peg <laughs> well, legs and glass ne- eyes. Neither did Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw the photo too. <laughs> right? So I always say that when I, I give up an example. Yeah. <clears throat> That I'm like, well, it's not really fair to the men. Not that they're blameless. I'm not saying there's no guilt there. No one is ever guiltless in any situation. Yeah. You always have a certain percentage of contributing factor. But I'm like, babe, men have a hard time turning down women. It's not really our biological nature to sit there and go, no. That's why women say no. You know, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, when I go out at night when I was single, I wasn't telling women no. Women mm-hmm. tell me no, you know, and that kind of keeps it to where we're not just all just, you know, you know, uh, living a life of debauchery. Mm-hmm. If men could have it, I mean, think about it. What woman could not walk up to a guy in a bar if he's single? I don't care what the girl looks like and says, hey, you know, unless he has something better going that night. Yeah. She's not going to get turned yeah, down. Yeah, if you're, if you're a woman, if you're a willing woman, you're dragging something out of yeah, that bar that night. And yeah. here's my example. Why Now, going back to why I use Arnold. And she's like, yeah. well, you know, intelligent. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Here's Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have a world champion athlete, right? He was, uh, you know, seven or eight time Mr. Olympia, you know, at 19 years of age and won like Mr. Universe, you know, like guys, you know, so he's a sports star Mm -hmm. in his sport, you know, or in in endeavor, comes over to the U.S., is still doing the pro bodybuilding thing, but then starts a business with Franco Colombo where they're doing construction work. He was already a millionaire before he ever went into movies. Then at that point, so now you go, World-class, you know, sports performer, world champion, multiple time over, become a legend in a sport you choose to do. Then you become a self-made millionaire through your business uh, arrangements. Then you go on and go ahead and become <clears throat> a, uh, a movie star. And not only becomes a movie star, but, I mean, let's face it, I mean, through the 80s and 90s was the biggest blockbuster action star, of, you know, I mean, $20 million yep. movie type guy. Yeah. So now he's... You know, hit the ceiling. The guy's going to be wealthy until the day they put him in the ground. And then he goes and marries what our version of royalty really is. I mean, the marries Kennedys. Marries into the Kennedys. Marries yeah. into a Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Then holds the highest level of public office that a non-naturalized citizen can possibly hold. He becomes the That's governor true. of California, which is what, like the third or fourth largest economy someone went to? Uh, we have yeah. to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> so... You do all these things, and then he sleeps with the maid. My wife goes, well, why did he do that? I'm like, because she jumped into his bed. That woman, who also needs to be looked at in a negative light, knew that he had a wife. She worked for her, Mm. waited till the wife wasn't there, and crawled into his room. Now, I'm not saying I wasn't there. I don't know how much he pursued it, how much she pursued it. But she obviously was, you know, takes two to tango as it goes. And if Arnold has a hard time saying no to that maid, then I think in our society that we need to like, you know, uh, instead of just demonizing men for making those mistakes, I think talking to guys, having an open dialogue, you know, even right now, I'm sure me bringing up this discussion is making people angry. But at the same time, if we don't talk about yeah, especially things, if Maria Shriver subscribes to phone booth yeah. fighting, she well, might. Well, yeah, you know, what a you know scumbag yeah. this guy is. So I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we all make mistakes. But it's be like having a drug habit. If you're yeah. prone to 
being extremist or you go into drugs, us not talking about it, not having an open form of dialogue mm-hmm. is probably the worst thing we could possibly do for that problem. But I mean, what do you think people do it at AA? They go there, they hear other people's stories, they talk about it. And I think athletes, you know, able to talk to each other, any males, look, I mean, come on, no woman ever threw herself at me when I was 16 years old. You know, I, I dated a few girls here and there, even when I was 19, 20, I looked the same. All of a sudden I'm 25 years old, the heavyweight champ of the UFC, Good thing I was married because it kept my head straight, but I had women throwing themselves at me left and right with my wife standing right yeah. there. My, Jenny will tell you stories of her right there going, uh, hey, I'm his wife. I'm standing right here. I'll bet that's not what she said. No, that's not how she put it. My wife. I know her better than that. I'll bet it wasn't, <laughs> oh, hey, by the way. No, yeah. <laughs> it was a few times. Of surprise. Good thing it was before uh, TMZ took off. Yeah. We have some images of, uh, <laughs> of uh, hair getting yanked out. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. that be my, my, my point is that, you know, and that's why going back, I guess we're on this whole thing. I use yeah. Arnold as a, alpha male it's like hey if i dropped you off in another country mm-hmm. how soon before you become the world champion learn their language um become a millionaire businessman become the biggest box office movie star uh marry one of their royalty and then become and hold the highest uh political office you could possibly hold mm-hmm. i mean that says a lot about a guy i mean pretty driven and then bangs a maid that most people would never even give a two to out of a scale of one to ten. Right. Impregnates her. Yeah. I, I, there's there's all kinds of aberrations like that in terms of, I mean, if you're just going to be completely vain and superficial for a second, I mean, it like uh, maybe to a lesser degree, but uh, remember Hugh Grant and the street hooker? Oh, my God. He was, I mean, he was see, with. See, that's what sucks. He couldn't talk about it. Yeah. When they showed what that girl looked like. Yeah. And you see what Elizabeth Hurley, yeah. his wife at the time. I mean, oh my God! Mm. I, I seen the movie Bedazzled. Yeah, uh, I felt. I mean, I mean, I had to go. You know, I was pretty bothered by watching that movie. I mean, that's a beautiful woman. Mm. Um, he cho- cheated on her with that divine brown. Yeah, I, I think that was her name. Yeah, that girl looked like a, a linebacker with long hair. It was yeah. not attractive. You know, yeah. what I mean, that wasn't my type. Uh, obviously, uh, there was a seedy side of him mm-hmm. that has an issue. That's counseling. You need to talk to somebody. That's a self-destructive yeah. behavior. That, but because we we shun that, you know, oh, that behavior makes you a scumbag. And guys are embarrassed to come forward to say, well, I have that urge. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, man, we all have that urge. But if we talk about it, I'll give you, you know, you know, one of my best friends. We had this discussion. We both have worked in industries. There was lots of women around us, and we had another friend that was struggling. And he uh, he brought up an example. James, my one of my best friends, brought up a great example yeah. of. He goes, "Hey, you know what? I just anytime I'm talk to a waitress or I talk to anybody, and you know, a dancer, if I get that vibe, I know to stay clear from it. Mm-hmm. Not that I I can't resist temptation, but why put myself in that situation?" But that only got brought up because we were having a very candid conversation where no one was judging themselves. Yeah. We could have our friends sit there and be like, hey, man, I'm having an issue with this. James can give his input. I can give my input. But if you have a society where people don't feel like we can talk about things, like if I have a drinking problem but I don't want to talk about it, yeah. how are we ever going to solve it? Yeah, and and also you because know, the – 
the component of, of honesty and open dialogue, I think a lot of times the reason these things happen, and particularly under really seedy circumstances, whether it's Hugh Grant and the Streetwalker or whether it's uh, Jimmy Swagger, you know, in the seedy motel room, uh, when, it, when it's specifically something that extreme or even a situation like, you know, you're... Eddie Murphy. You're, yeah, Eddie an Murphy, extreme right, one. right. There's no... So I think what happens is because there is a lack of open dialogue, like you said, then that behavior, it's so repressed and it, it eats away at you like, uh, oh, I am not can't be 100% me. Now, I'll tell you how we're going to tie that back to Paul Stanley. I know you're reading his autobiography, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you've gotten this far into it, but when he starts talking about his history with women, Paul Stanley is, is married now, but he's a guy who was born without a right ear. Right. And a lot of people didn't. You never knew that back in the no, kiss I didn't days. Know until, yeah, no one. Well, no one. Until yeah. Paul started following me. Yeah. Did I ever really? I mean, I knew who he was yeah. because of Kiss. I yeah. Mean, who doesn't? You couldn't show a picture of the band Kiss and the makeup and the Star Child and all that stuff, and people not right know right. who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. But I didn't get into it. Then I started reading. I mean, and that's one of the things actually, even just on his Wikipedia page. Yeah. How he now you know goes to the fund, uh, you know, funds the programs and, and charities. Yeah, the kids and, with facial right. uh, irregularities and stuff. Yeah, he. So he's born without a right ear. So he grows up this incredibly shy child. Of course, he didn't always have real long hair. So kids made fun of him and all that kind of stuff. But when he turns into this rock star. He talks about, because he and Gene Simmons, their entire lives have been straight edge. No alcohol, no drugs, you know. Yeah, that part actually yeah. shocked me. Yeah. Reading about that. And then also, too, I mean, how it basically, the other two guys. Um, Gene and, I mean, uh, Ace and Peter. Right. How they were the complete opposite of yeah. that. How basically, you know, it shows how, well, they were successful really because of Gene and, yeah, uh, and, and Paul. And Paul. Yeah. And it, it, just like, well, even you. Yeah. You know, uh, I hate to say this, but I mean, I judge people like anybody else. When I first look at you, not that I judge anybody by their ethnicity, because that really nowadays doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, people, you know, the way the cultures are mixed up, yeah. the color of your skin really doesn't really guide what you you act like. Right, right. To me, that's a choice. When you yes. got up in the morning, when you chose to put your clothes on or your outfit, you chose to put on your whatever jewelry you wear, mm -hmm. whatever tattoos you enjoy your skin with, um, you're... You're, you're, that's an expression of yourself. That's your style. I make a conscientious decision to look this homeless on a daily well, basis. Not homeless, but you look, you know, obviously if you said, hey, I'm into music, I'm like, yeah. really? No shit. Yeah. You know I mean, like, yeah. really? You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You look like a rocker to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. even right now, you're wearing the black t shirt, jeans, holding the, the, the chucks, and you have the bandana, you know, on, on the hair. Yep. The long hair, you know, you look like a rocker. When you told me you're straight edge, I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, I know you now well enough to believe everything you're telling me. Yeah. But uh, whatever somebody's in that industry, that impresses me. That's one of the things I actually want to talk to Paul about. Being in that environment and really not succumbing to it. Was it because of examples of seeing people, you know, wreck? Or because, I mean, it's so hard. I mean, you know, I mean, you've been around it in that industry. I've been in the, through the world of mixed martial arts, after fight parties. It's acceptable behavior to party yeah you know drink hey man you know hey you earned it you know you win a big fight or if you after a concert i'm sure you know you you guys play a good set yeah you know everybody hey cut loose have a couple beers if someone goes in the back drugs it's like well you know especially here in vegas very acceptable behavior mm -hmm. so when i meet somebody that chooses not to you know one thing is if you know if you live in the middle of nebraska and you're like hey i don't i'm straight edge i'm like really and, uh, okay you know but if you're in the middle of la party scene you're paul stanley of kiss 
and you're able to avoid those uh, potholes of life that are being thrown at you that are completely acceptable because now you're dealing with with what he had to deal with with the ear issue Mm -hmm. here as a kid you're an outcast but now his behavior i mean be a guy who doesn't mess around with his wife and try to have friends that do yeah they're not going to be your friends anymore yeah i don't have any friends that really mess around because it just causes i feel that if you have that behavior it causes them to be uncomfortable you know i i don't have any friends that you know do hardcore drugs mm-hmm. you know i have friends that smoke weed but you know nothing serious in yeah. my opinion you know that makes them feel uncomfortable and i'm sure your behavior has to make people oh, the vegan thing i know we mm-hmm. crack a lot of jokes yeah. about it but i think the reason why people crack jokes about it you know on top of it is it Make some people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, skinny people make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I love how on top of magazines now, you know, we try to have this fat acceptance in our country where it's okay to be fat. I'm like, yeah, no, no, we've we, you've hijacked the campaign. It's okay to be ugly. You can't control yeah. that. <laughs> right. You know, and I. And right. I'm very happy when I see women that are obviously not going to be attractive no matter what they do. Be comfortable in their own skin. That's a beautiful thing to see a person be confident and go, hey, this is the cards I was dealt. I'm going to work with it. Uh-huh. But to see somebody who is diabetic, grossly overweight, you know, it's like, okay, well, you got issues. And be like, well, you have to accept me. And we're going to applaud that girl and put her on the front of a magazine. But then we demonize girls that are too skinny. And I think we hate that because there's a mental control. There's, I mean, not that the extreme case of anorexia or bulimia is not something to be scared of because of the health issues. Yeah. But a person that, I mean, I respect it. If a person can put a fork down and, and override that urge to not want to eat. Yeah. Hell, the last couple of years of my career, I've always been I'm 20 pounds overweight easily. I have a hard time putting forks down. Mm-hmm. And I think other people, instead of acknowledging that, they hate that. Yeah. They sit there and go, well, you know, that's... It's like, what, because you can't do it? I think, yeah, I think it's the self-discipline. I think that's a common denominator is that's what makes people You turn away meat or you turn away drugs and alcohol. Like people sit there and go, really? Even my wife doesn't drink at all now. Yeah. When we go out with people and we're kind of casual friends, I see that it makes them uncomfortable. There are certain people like, you're not going to drink? Really? Not a little bit? Yeah. Really? And it's like, I mean, you have to deal with it, I'm sure. People don't like that. And it doesn't, the thing is, it doesn't bother me if other people choose to do that. And, and, and also the, the vegan thing is like that too. Now I will, I will tell you what I like about it. I'll tell you why I feel yeah. good about it. Things like that. Yeah, but I'm not, questions but, about it. but you're not going to order a steak and I'm going to sit here and no. wag my finger at and you I'll or something that. like that. Right. Right. So, so it's I can not, order a hamburger and you've right. never, ever looked at me, said anything. Yeah. If anything, I, I mean, and because you're not judgmental about it you know we'll sit down there. i mean the last time we just went to daddy bravo you're like hey what do you want to eat i'm like yeah, i'll go to a vegan place yeah Let's go. yeah i mean i don't i it, there's a difference between telling somebody why you're happy being you and telling someone else what's wrong with them being them that's what wow, it that's is a good way to put it and and you're right you know and i also find it's a huge too, distinction that people get wrong yeah they do and they and they you're right they what they're unnerved by is your confidence to be the and I, you know i i really i credit my mom with this uh she she somehow instilled in me very early on that it was perfectly okay to be the only person in a room doing or not doing something 
and whatever that is, a good thing or a bad thing, depending on whether you're doing it or you're not doing it. And that did something for me. It kept peer pressure to a minimum. And the other thing is I ended up kind of wearing it like a little bit of a, of a badge of honor, like an identity. I mean, I didn't put it in people's faces, but I enjoyed, I, I actually feel, I derive self-confidence I like the fact that people will acknowledge that about me, that they will just say, you know what I've noticed about you? You sure are comfortable being you. Yes, you I are. I think it's a nice compliment no, to it's get. it's a huge compliment. You know, but... And, uh, we can have conversations about things. I mean, we were in L.A. in the room. I think we stayed up till 2 in the morning. Yeah. You were asking me questions. Well, you know, how do you do this or how do you feel about that? And not one time did I feel like I had to measure my answers with you yeah. to be like, oh, man, if I say this... I might make Richard run for the hills, you know. You know, it's like, oh man, I, I think I roomed up with a, you know, a potential psychopath. You know? Right. I right. just had to go. Well, this. Well, is you had the car keys, so that was part of it. <laughs> I also took the bed by the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, why don't you do that? You know, I'm like, oh, well, I'm afraid of going to jail. I'm like, yeah. really? That's why. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, you would do it if it otherwise. I'm like, ah, probably. Yeah. But the consequences, you know, I can think of consequences and I'm not afraid of violence. I'm just afraid of the consequences of violence. Well, and I think also that kind of open dialogue, it's very contagious. Just like repression is contagious, I think an openness is contagious as well. And if you're wondering how we're going to tie all this back to our, our, uh, our host next week, our guest host, Paul Stanley, is in his book, you know, he talks about he didn't do the drugs or the alcohol ever, but but he did like the women. But the key was that he was open and honest about everything. So whether it was his, uh, you know, any, any kind of girlfriend and relationships he had or whatever, he really wasn't keeping secrets from anybody. And Which, so he was able to live just an open, honest life. Is that because we had this conversation about, you know, mm-hmm. If you love somebody, you know, sometimes I'm bad about breaking news yeah. to loved ones. Where we, I think I forgot what we were watching. And I'm like, well, would you tell them the truth or would you lie to them? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I would probably tell a lie because, you know, in that situation, uh, knowledge could only cause pain mm-hmm. and there's nothing that person can do about that. You know, if I knew my wife, if someone told me, hey, in a month she's going to die. I had a you know a, 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 a undeniable premonition you know yeah. let's say some kind of higher power came to me would I tell her it's like no I wouldn't I'd lie to her mm-hmm. you know it's, is there anything we could do about it no there's nothing mm-hmm. we could do about it I mean if we could fix it but then you you were very much like no I'm honest and oh, to the extreme of it's like no we we talk about everything why would I hide anything yeah well the other thing that I fear too is if I don't do that how it's going to affect me. Because I, it will be noticeable. Like if I'm not, I think you feel my honesty with you. And if I decided to not be honest with you, uh, even though you might not realize at first that I was being dishonest about something, you would sense something going on with me. You yeah. would sense. A, and women are actually even better at that. Oh, yes, yes. The intuition is well, very good. I, women actually have much, I think, you know, we talk about the different types of yep. brains. Their nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could walk in the room and my, my wife knows exactly what I'm thinking. Yep. She'll be like, who'd you just talk to? I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just called someone, so I had an mm-hmm. issue. I'm like, how did you know? I was, I just walked in here and put the keys down. How did you know I was in a bad mood? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, uh, poker face. I mean, I, I could walk to fights and people have no idea what I'm thinking. Like your, like your dog sensing a thunderstorm. Oh, man, my wife could be like, oh, you know, so hey, good news, bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like, really? How, how can you tell? You yeah. know, and they just can't. 
They do. They know. Well, it's it's interesting when when Paul because this this is an avenue of conversation. I think the two of you guys, uh, you and Paul Stanley, are are probably going to bond over next week when we're at his house taping our phone booth fighting episode. Is you know he talks about how as as open as he was about that, it was difficult. It, it was part of why he waited so late in life to get married because there were so many women who just couldn't handle his honesty that they they would actually be looking for him to lie to them rather than be honest about who and what he was. I mean, these guys... I believe that. I just saw a quote the other day, and it made me sad. Mm-hmm. I looked at it, and I think... It, uh, she has a shaved head, uh, used to be with Kanye. Uh, uh, oh, Amber, Amber Rose. Rose. Yes. Why do I know that? Uh, she, Damn it. She had a quote, and I was going through on news and stuff, and yeah. I was saying that basically um, uh, if your man loves you, and like all men cheat... But if they love you, you'll never mm-hmm. find out. I was like, wow, that's a pretty, like, I have a daughter. I don't know if I could teach her that. Be like, look, all guys are scumbags. Just the ones that really love you are going to hide it from you. I'm like, what a That's terrible. Awful, that's terrible. <laughs> that just tells me she hasn't been, she's got a, she's a poor judge of character. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm like, wow, you know, maybe you just need to uh, increase your circle there. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say this. If you really are, in my opinion, Looking to find true love, you have to be okay with being alone until you find it. Absolutely. Because so many people are afraid to be alone, and so they just take whatever comes along. Yeah, they rush into situations, and they, they sure make do. do with things. And they make concessions and compromises yep. that I'm like, you know, how many, I mean, you're older than I am, so you have friends, you live life to where it's like, oh, you know, well, this is okay. I'm like, man, you're saying that now because mm-hmm. it's new. Mm-hmm. And two years from now, when the novelty of the new yeah. you know, pussy wa- mm-hmm. wears off, that's going to drive you nuts, and then you're not going to treat her the same. Yeah. And then she's not going to be understanding why she's being treated differently, because you never let her know from the beginning that that behavior was unacceptable. you know. And so now you guys are living together, and you have kids or whatever. It's like, wow, if you just have been honest at the beginning and been okay with rejection, being who you are and being like, hey, this is this is who I am. Take it or leave it. But I mean, we make jokes about it. I mean, society on your first date, you know, no one ever shows who they really are. Yeah. And not that you throw out, you know, your whole, you know, all the dirty laundry. Uh, but I, I think, you know, uh, right off the bat, you know, my father's from Cuba, right? So even though my mom is from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the head of the household and where he came from and how he was raised, I got raised. I was raised in a much more Latin type of home, uh-huh. and so there's certain behaviors that I've adjusted on. But I remember when I first got with Jennifer, um, she wasn't allowed to correct me in public. There was certain behavior that almost seemed kind of chauvinistic, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how I thought. And I mean, from the get go, I let her know, you know, like this is how I think, this is how I feel, which kind of gave her the opportunity at the beginning to be like, wow, I really thought you were this real liberal, free thinking guy. I'm like, I am, but I'm still very barbaric in other ways. <laughs> I'm working on it, you yeah. know, but, you know, uh, you know, right off the bat, instead of not correcting her, and then all of a sudden we move in together and I flip out on her. She's like, well, you didn't flip out when we first were together when I sit there and went, no, Frank, you're wrong. But uh, for the first date, Right off the bat, I'm like, you know, I remember uh, a guy tried to ask to dance with her, and we were just dating. Uh-huh. And she was, you know, dancing around, and I sat down to have a drink. And she's like, but the boyfriend she had before was, you know, kind of a hippie, mm-hmm. and he was cool with it. And right off the bat, like I looked at her, I'm like, no, nope, it ain't happening. I don't, I don't play that, you yeah. know. Instead of hiding that part of my personality, which a lot of people do, 
you know, it's like, no, I'm very possessive. I'm not going to lie. I'm not yeah. going to, you know, sugarcoat this. You can't even, you know, if I even see you talking to a guy for a little bit longer than I think I deem appropriate, I'm going to get angry. Wow. And you're not going to be happy about this. Yeah. Well, that uh, that apparently didn't hold form. Uh, <laughs> It seems to be a much more uh, two-way avenue all yeah. these years later. Well, you yeah. know what? You say that here, but when we go out, mm-hmm. I get very much protective. I don't know. like, uh, Well, yeah. That's but why I, mean, I think when we talked about going back a couple episodes, the whole cockholding thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That completely just, just <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm not as bad as like my uncle where like, you know, his wife, my aunt had to dress from like, if she left the house, no makeup on. like, Oh, like a Pentecostal? Well, kind of, kind I guess, yeah. if you want to look at it that way. But yeah. you know, what are you doing? Putting makeup on to leave the house? We're not oh, yeah. going on wow. a date. What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> well, get we we we've got to get Paul telling some of these stories, and and a lot of them are in his autobiography. But like the guys in Kiss had. Uh, he talked about like, you know, when they first, you know, they, they start off, they're all in one hotel room together and then they each get their own hotels and they get to start staying in nicer hotels, but they eventually get to a point where they have, they get an extra room and it's called the chicken coop and they would put, get all the groupies into the hotel room so that they didn't have to try to figure out what groupie they wanted to take back to the room and then end up with with buyer's remorse so they would have all these girls in the chicken coop room the guys would go in the room the band members and select from those to bring back to their room wow there was another point that's crazy that just shows you too i've been at the highest Mm -hmm. points of our sport I've never even been around that. I don't yeah. think any of us as fighters after fight party have had a bunch of girls in a hotel room that are just fight groupies or fans. Yeah. And let us just pick uh tonight you. Yeah. You know, and girl, you know, and then that's so much more common. That isn't like I mean, it isn't like Kiss is the only band to experience that. I mean, I've read things about Guns yeah, N' Roses sure. and yeah. you know, I mean, that type of uh, following that rock stars still are, you know, there's, you know, party like a rock star is mm-hmm. still on a different level than the fighters. There was another point where he picks up a penthouse magazine, likes the girl that he sees on the cover, calls up his agent and says, track that girl down. And 48 hours later, she's in his bed. Shut up. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's so it's actually very apropos to how this whole arrangement came up for us to be invited to go tape a show at his house next week, because we did all this through Twitter. Yeah. This is like the mid seventies when well I got a magazine. How am I ever going to find that? I can't can't look her up on Facebook. That won't be invented yeah. for another thirty years. So I got to call. I got he had to get an, a middle person involved to like probably call the head of penthouse and Bob Guccione and figure out, I mean, think about all the work that yeah. probably had to go into that. Just having a 48 hour lag time was probably pretty damn so impressive. The rock back stars then. Nowadays they got it easy. That's right. Just look them up on uh, Facebook or, uh, or Twitter or what have you. Well, and then on the flip side, easy, just on a party note before we get off yeah. harder too, because nowadays if you're a celebrity, man, everybody's, we're our own big brother. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, that same social media that allows you to connect with that girl. Yeah. In a heartbeat. I mean, I, not that he was a big time celebrity, but it was a, an actor. Uh, it was on the news uh, maybe two years ago. He was on an airplane with a young lady. Well, it was some actor yeah. who was sitting next to an attractive lady who had yeah. a decent following, I guess, on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah. Started hitting on her, took off his ring, 
and I guess he's kind of big in the Christian community, or at least. Yeah, okay, different guy. Yeah, yeah, this is a different story. But you, but you know the story I'm going. telling where he goes to the bathroom, and then she, basically, there's Wi-Fi on the plane, yeah. so she has her followers <laughs> are getting a step-by-step of what he's oh, saying, yeah. how he's hitting on her. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I mean, yeah. not that his behavior was acceptable, but then at the same time, I'm all, her behavior wasn't either. Right. I think they're both in the wrong. But but going back to Paul Stanley and his mantra of openness in his world, so what if she did do that? Right, because he's not lying to anybody. He's right. Everything's honest, you know, uh, uh, with with him. So that is uh, that's just a little bit of what we're going to be getting into next week. Uh, no one's like that now. No, not not. No, but the thing is, very few people have ever been like that. I mean, the yeah. the the by and large, what happens? We get back to that first date thing. By and large, what happens is, and this is just human nature. You go on that first date. And whether you're the guy or the girl, in my opinion, I think what happens is you say, you know what, this is going really well. I've shown her 80, 85 percent of who I am or what I got. She seems to be digging that. Now, I'll just keep the 15, the 10 to 15 percent over here in the closet. So, you know, she because she's not going to dig that. Well, Well, the problem is (laughs) right from the get go, if you do that, you're kind of leading a double life. Yeah. You know, and well, that is such a predominant behavior that we have created a whole job class. Yeah. If you think about it, 100 years ago, you didn't have people whose job was to make you look good. Now, mm-hmm. there are people that that's their sole purpose in life is that if Kanye West goes out and does something, he has a PR person yep. who releases a statement and talks to people. And You have people that that's their career yeah. is for politicians or people or you know if you own a business, anything that's in the public eye whatsoever, they have people that specialize on like, well, if we say it this way, this is might how be taken. Mm-hmm. You know, we can say the same thing, but if we say it like this, yeah. you know, or, you know. Yeah, it's like you have your own personal narrator. Yeah, that's right. And they're writing a story as you go. And and it's common true. practice. And that's how, I mean, to the point to where, I mean, a spin doctor, we accept that in our society that mm-hmm. there are people, well, you know, that that's what they do. Well, what, mm-hmm. are their, what was the press release? What was the... Oh, no, I meant that... Uh, oh, yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. You know, something like happens asking. up, so-and-so's divorcing so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, okay, you know, pl- side A, this is their press release. Side B, this is their press release. Mm-hmm. All by a PR person who's going to spin it to make their person look as, you know, uh, applicable and as positive as possible, but doesn't have to be the truth. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's complete. And also, if you market it correctly, you can create the truth. You know, it's even if it wasn't the truth, you can force it down enough people's throats and saturate the mainstream with it enough that it just kind of becomes the truth because yeah. that story got told more than the actual uh, truth. Uh, there was a whole show on HBO, uh, the one uh, uh, actor that uh, was it, uh, Robert Wall. Robert Wall. Uh, the uh, history. Yeah. Yeah, it was very it good. It says, you know, yeah. when, when, when there was a statement he kept making uh, when the story becomes, uh, man, I wish we can go at the, remember what he said, but basically he. It, verbatim of what mm-hmm. you're saying or you know in essence mm-hmm. of you know once whatever is accepted as a truth becomes a truth mm-hmm. not reality not the actual truth yeah it's like as if per- basically perception becomes reality is the old is the old cliche well that's going to be next week at paul stanley's house in los angeles twitter has uh, brought these two worlds together and uh, paul stanley of kiss who's a big frank Mir fan and uh, if he just sort of tolerates me I'll be fine with it. Like You're I'm a super likable guy. I'd like to meet you. the person that doesn't like you. Thank you very much. Okay. I'd be interested. I mean, honestly, yeah. if someone's like, eh, 
Mm. Eh, I'm like, really? Thanks. Why? Well, like, well, explain to me. Yeah. You know, I mean. Uh, well, as long as it's not Paul, that would just crush me. So, so uh, no, I'm very, very excited about that. I think this is, uh, this is really going to be a lot of fun. So, next week, uh, we are going to tape our phone booth fighting episode from Paul Stanley's living room or man cave or home studio. I don't know exactly what room we're going to be set up in, but uh, he's having us over uh, on Friday and he's going to be our co-host for the for the duration. So we'll talk rock and roll. We'll talk uh, uh, UFC, mixed martial arts. He's a big fan, big fan of Frank's. We'll talk about uh, how you got groupies in the 70s and uh, up to now and all that sort of thing. And plus, kid, but now he's a big family guy. He's got four kids and, and uh, a wife who's an attorney. And uh, so anyway, I think it's going to be very, mess her over. No, 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 no. So I think it's going to be a uh, a very wide ranging conversation, something for everybody. Let's turn our attention to uh, some mixed martial arts. It's one thing I love about phone booth fighting, uh, Frank. Week in and week like out. Twenty minutes in, and we haven't said nothing about fighting. Or thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> you just never know. But that's okay. You know, it's just kind of that we don't we don't work off a script here. We bait, what we will do is just to pull back the curtain a little bit. We will, you know, sketch out a few topics, some things we know to get into. We knew we were going to make in the be making the announcement that we we're uh, going to Paul Stanley's house, and we knew we had a couple of fights to talk about. Obviously, fight night from this past weekend, UFC 199, which is this coming weekend. Uh, I'll be uh, out there in LA. I'm going to stay over an extra day, of course, to cover the fights, and I'll have some audio from UFC uh, Media Day and all that sort of thing that we will incorporate actually into this episode, okay. uh, so that by the time we uh, we're taping tonight but i'll i'll be uh, including some of that stuff as well and i i know i'm going to be talking to michael bisbing uh, on the phone tomorrow so i'll drop that into the show uh, as well but anyway uh that's kind of how we do it we just sketch out a couple of basic ideas and the rest of it is uh is is improvisational conversation so that's what you get here on phone booth fighting all right so ufc fight night was in las vegas this past sunday night at mandalay bay i was there snapchatting the whole thing by the way uh username phone booth fight on snapchat and uh if you missed it i'm going to put up some of that video on our phone booth fighting facebook page but uh definitely a good reason to follow us on snapchat anytime I'm on location like that. I'll be doing it the same uh, same way this weekend at UFC 199 in L.A. But let's look at what happened uh, on the card. First of all, a star is born in Team Alpha Male's Cody Garbrandt. Uh, main eventing the uh, Fight Night card Sunday night, Cody No Love Garbrandt took on Ricardo Almeida. And uh, he knocked out Almeida. I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas Almeida. What a, Ricardo Almeida. I think, Ricardo, I think Ricardo Almeida has been retired for yeah. a number of years now. Uh, Thomas Almeida. Uh, two undefeated fighters. Somebody's O had to go unless it was going to be a draw. And uh, Garbrandt knocked out Thomas Almeida in the first round, devastating fashion, with a couple of big lefts. And, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, Alpha Males turned out big names before, <laughs> obviously. Um, Garbrandt had a lot of hype behind him. He's an unranked fighter, but I think all that is about to change in the Bantamweight division for him, and this was a real test, and uh, he passed with, with flying colors. Um, it's exciting because, you know, a lot of times, Frank, in the Bantamweight division, in the lower weight classes for that matter, we don't get a lot of guys who have reputations as knockout artists, you know, power no. punchers. I think we've talked about, I mean, I bring up all the time, that the heavyweight division, one of the most, I, I thought about this the other day, can you think of any heavyweight that hasn't been knocked out right now in the top ten? Okay. Um, 
Let me pull up the top ten right off the bat. I cannot. Uh, Stipe. Stipe got knocked out has by been Stefan finished. Struve. Right. Got caught with an uppercut. Right. Put away. Uh, First round, too, knockout. Yep. Kane Velasquez. I saw him get knocked out in like 15 seconds. Yeah. Uh, JDS, their first matchup. Right. And uh, and he also, uh, well, the, I guess he got submitted by Verdum. But yes, you're right. He has been uh, he has been KO'd. Yeah, he right. got rocked by Verdum a little bit. I mean, yeah. he got really rocked a lot by early in his career by um, yep. Czech Congo. Had him. Yeah. So let's run him down. Okay. Stipe Miosic has been KO'd. Verdum. Uh, has been JDS knocked him out with an uppercut right in 20 seconds has been calling ones off the head, top of my head yeah, yeah. KO'd uh, Velasquez we just said has been knocked out Overeem has been knocked out Junior Dos Santos has been stopped by Velasquez and, and by Overeem, Overeem recently out cold right Ben Rothwell I've seen him get laid out yep uh, Andre Arlovsky yep. you know he's been finished Travis Brown uh, Mark Hunt KO'd by uh, Fabricio Verdun. I seen Mark Hunt not only he got knocked out by uh, Manuel Madhev before he got into the UFC. It was a pride fight. He got knocked out by a guy who fights a two hundred five. Yeah, yeah. In like twenty seconds. Yeah. It's just when guys are over two hundred twenty pounds. Yeah. And you wrap their hands. Yeah. Josh, bad things happen. Josh Barnett and Roy Nelson rounding out the top ten. Yeah, everybody's been KO'd. And you know what? As I look at this list. You would actually, and, and I mean, I'd, I'd have to do a little bit of research to clarify this, but I'll bet out of those 10 names, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who hadn't been knocked out by one of the other ones. Well, no, obviously. Going They're back, all kind of interchangeable. It's the mix yeah, going back mix, and forth, yeah. but it's so easy yeah. for heavyweights to catch each other. It's almost like a knife fight. Yeah. It's like, hey, the first one to land is yeah. going to win, you know? <laughs> yeah. Whereas not, yeah. now going back to the bantamweight, what you're yeah. saying I think they have the lowest knockout percentage. How many bantamweight fights do you watch to go to decision? I think they have the highest decision percentage mm -hmm. in all the weight classes. I think that's right, yeah. I think I had seen a stat like that. Well, Garbrandt, for that reason, uh, and a few others, is a really exciting yes. addition to the top of the bantamweight weight class. I actually caught up with Justin Buckholz, his coach, and uh, the. I guess right now Justin would be considered the head coach over at Team Alpha Male. Former uh, professional fighter himself, uh, Justin hadn't fought in a while, but uh, he not only is uh, the head corner man over at uh, uh, Team Alpha Male and has been for years, but he's also the host of their stud show radio podcast. You know, Team Alpha Male does their own podcast out of the Alpha Male gym. And I subscribe to it. It's a lot of fun to listen to. It's uh, They tape it right there inside Team Alpha Male. So they've just got a couch over in the corner, and it's cool. It's like a clubhouse vibe because there's so many guys training in there. It's like you never know who may come over to the couch and sit down and, and talk after their workout. Well, I had actually never really met Justin uh, before this weekend, and he actually came, came up to me at the uh, open workouts and introduced himself, said, hey, how's it going? He said, man, he said, I am loving phone booth fighting. He said, I'm loving what you and Frank are doing. That podcast is blowing up, and congratulations on it. And we started talking, and, and he's like, man, you guys got to come on my podcast. I said, well, you come on ours. We'll do a maybe we'll do a swap cast, something like yeah, that with the alpha awesome. male guys. Anyway, it's it very kind words, and, and I appreciated him saying that, especially uh, being a podcaster of his own, uh, in his own right. And so I talked to Justin at, at the post-fight press conference about uh, Garbrandt's uh, victory, and uh, here's what he had to say. 
Justin Buckholz here. Justin, uh, big night for Team Alpha Mill. Cody Garbrandt gets the uh, first round knockout victory. First of all, how close was that to the game plan uh, from what you guys expected from Almeida? Oh, it was exactly what we expected from Almeida. It was exactly what we expected from Cody. We needed to get Cody in the cage without running any of his cornermen, any other shoot box members during fight week and unleash him. That was our game plan. Unleash no love. But, uh, you know, Cody is uh, is being pretty humble uh, up there in victory, but uh, as alpha male coach, what do you think realistically should be next for him? Who and, and, and possibly when? He's, he's the best 135-pounder in the world. Uh, we'll find out uh, whether what happens with Faber and Cruz. And if Faber wins, Faber needs to fight Conor McGregor, get a super fight, and vacate that belt and let Cody get that belt because he'll beat anybody else in that division. He will not fight Uriah. Team Alpha Male is a real team. We will not fight each other. But uh, after that's said and done, Cody's the best 135-pounder in the world, and uh, he needs that strap. I like that matchmaking. If Cody Garbrandt were to do a podcast, hypothetically, what podcast might we hear him turn up on? He would definitely be on uh, Stud Show Radio. You can find that at studradio.com. Or I heard he wants to go on that hot-ass Phone booth fighting that's podcast. A good one. That one's coming up too. I mean that that's that's the legit shit right there. That's a one-two punch, right? Yeah, there. right there. Yeah, you get you 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 listen to those two podcasts. You are an expert, hardcore fan who knows MMA. Justin Buckles, thanks, brother. Thank you. That was nice of him. That was awesome. Yeah. So uh, that that was kind of a bold uh, idea he had there about Uriah Faber. What did how did he work it? Uriah Faber beating Cruz for the belt. And then vacating the belt to go up and fight Conor McGregor in a super fight so that the belt is vacant and I, I guess Garbrandt has a path to the title. Yeah. I wonder if Faber would do that. I, I tell you this. I he would. Well, let me tell you, I don't think Buckholtz would say it if he didn't know if he didn't know Faber was yeah. okay with that. They're a pretty tight-knit group. I mean, yeah. I've went down there. My wife's from Sacramento. Yeah. So any times that we're uh, down in that area, if uh, I'm in camp or training – I'll go down there to their gym and train, and I've looked over and watched them all hang out together, and their class that they go through and the instruction, the way they run, is uh, top-notch, man. I mean, there's a reason why it's not by luck that they are so consistently yeah. good. You yeah. know, uh, Uriah went through a 10-part series combination with guillotine on how they, they run it. Yeah. It shows you why he scores that maneuver and has he's choked out quite a few guys in a high level with yeah. it. And it shows you it's a testament to their training that they're actually, you know, you see them pull things off in the fights, but I guarantee you, I'm like, yeah, but come on, guys, watch. We can go to their camp, and those guys are going to train that particular movement. You'll actually watch. It was awesome to see because sometimes you'll see training and guys, you know, always going live, but there's not always a direction to what they're going. They almost make it look like a wrestling practice but it's MMA. Yeah. Like, hey, today we're going to work on this, you know, change level, grab here, go here. now. And then they're, because they cooperate with each other, they allow the other guy to, they, they know how to be each other's training partners. And that's an important quality that shows that that team has. And I think that's the essence, too, of why they don't fight each other. Because they have that cooperation that if I'm going to work a technique, if you and I are going to train together and you want, you're like, hey, Frank, you know, be on top, move to the side. I'm really going to work a lot of half guard sweeps. Well, if you're working on it and all of a sudden I pull out my A game and I just try to crush you, how much are you really going to get, you know, develop? How many reps could you really yeah. get in on that next level? And obviously we have it to where you'll learn the technique, we'll mm -hmm. go through it, 
A, B, C, D style, and then we're going maybe semi 50%. But there has to be that kind of in-between live go where, yeah, I'm going yeah. live with you. Yeah. I'm moving with you. I'm giving you a realistic look. I'm not being a fish, but I'm not trying to just crush you because I know what you're – you told me, hey, I'm going to work on sweeps. And all of a sudden, if I just – you know, belly down, flatten out, get on top of you and just suck you up and go, okay, well, now I, I don't have to worry about you choking me because I'm just going to completely stop the sweep. It's like... It defeated the purpose yeah, of the Yeah, I'm not really though. being a good partner. Right, right. But if we knew we had to fight each other, that's a difference that sometimes in boxing gyms, guys can do that. So people with a boxing background, you can kind of go out there and like, hey, you do your A game, I'll do my A game. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm working on my B game, still bring your A game. Guys... Boxing is kind of a different animal, mm. but in the grappling and MMA world, especially because in MMA, sometimes we spar with such little gloves because you really it's hard to simulate sparring in MMA with an 18 ounce glove on. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to work with each other, you have to kind of cooperate. Yeah, you know, give your opponent, you know, give your partner a good look. Yeah, you know, and there are days where you you both are going to bring your A game. We're going to go at it, but uh, that camp really, you know, that's why if anybody sits and goes, well, you know, fighting's fighting, it's an individual sport. I'm all. Ah, nah, man. Kind of. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think you're wrong, but I think in the big picture, you see the success that this team is having, especially at you know bantamweight, featherweight, you know uh, weight classes, because they have a bunch of guys that are all high level in that area that work with each other and bring each other up to another level. They take it as a compliment if one of their guys does well. If there was just a bunch of if you if all of us go into a room and we're really honestly just lone wolves. What's the point of training together? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, fine, we'll show up every two weeks and I'll see you and we'll just match up on our hard days. But when it comes to the time where I want to work on stuff, do I really want my coach sitting there whispering, okay, hey, Frank, you, know, you have a problem with this, so we're going to work on this, this, and this. And my partner is somebody potentially I could fight. Mm-hmm. I would love to sit down on that practice. Mm-hmm. If you sat there and go, hey, we're going to work on JDS on how to get up from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And Frank, you're going to be his partner. So I'm going to sit there and be in your practice and be your partner and you're a future potential opponent. That's unrealistic. Now, mm-hmm. do you think JDS is really going to work on his, his weaknesses or is he always going to want to show his strong suit? Yeah. So you're never able to really train and develop as a martial artist. You have to be, you know, that's why, you know, in the jiu-jitsu world, we always you know, leave your ego at the door. There has to be a mixture of that boxing mentality where we're going to go at it, but you have to have that, hey, cooperate with me, man. I'm not good at this yet. I'm working on it. If you just smash me, I'm never going to be good at it. Work with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was such an interesting statement that Buckholz made about that because, to me, that's even going one better than Daniel Cormier did for Cain Velasquez. So, So Cormier and Velasquez are training partners at AKA, uh, at the time that Cormier was basically knocking on the door of a heavyweight title shot, Kane was the champion. When Kane got that title, that's what caused Cormier to go down to light heavyweight. But what Buckholz is saying is, to me, even more of a sacrifice if that were to happen. Because think about it. At that point... Uriah Faber would be the Bantamweight champion. So he wouldn't just be a guy knocking on the door of a title shot. He would be the champion if he defeats Cruz this weekend. Okay. Cody's saying, basically, through Buckles, saying that Cody is going to stay in that weight class. Yeah. And not vie for the title. No, no, that he would vie for the title because he's saying Faber would vacate it. Right. He's saying Faber would take the well, title. I guess the way I'm looking at it is saying that 
if Uriah doesn't vacate it, right, they're not Cody's gonna fight never going to fight no, for the championship. No, they're not going to fight each other. But I, what what Buckholz was saying there was that that I mean, unless like I said, I would be stunned if he hadn't talked to Uriah Faber about all this before he was telling me. But that that obviously you know Faber is okay with the idea of hey, I'll go beat Cruz, uh, I'll get this UFC title that has eluded me all this time. Of course, you know he he held a lighter he held the the the, the WEC title right. all that before it was in UFC, but he's never held an actual UFC title this would be the first time so if he takes that bantamweight title this Saturday night then that what he's basically saying is now Garbrandt wouldn't get an immediate title shot I mean he's he wasn't a ranked fighter up until this past weekend so we're still a couple of fights away maybe Faber can defend the title or something but it sounds like what Buckholz is saying is Faber and maybe part of it's because of his age as well you know I'm sure Faber would love the the, the gigantic payday he would get fighting Conor McGregor but he's talking about winning the title and basically vacating it to go fight Conor in a super fight and then letting uh, Cody Garbrandt work his way to the title I mean, that would be unprecedented of, uh, that I can yeah. think of of any of any campmate doing that essentially for another team member that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I, I guess I'm looking at that's also in that statement. The flip side of the coin that I'm seeing is that mm-hmm. if Uriah is not allowed that, let's say they don't give him that, so you're not going to get that fight. Oh, against Connor. Connor. Okay. They're saying that Cody is not going to challenge. He's willing to go ahead and just. Stay yeah. there and, and be well. I'll just stay the number one contender. Yeah. You know, not that he is now, but yeah, he's got. If he eventually got sure. up to number one contender, if Uriah is still there at the top, then yeah. I'm gonna- Gar- <clears throat> I mean, Garbrandt has got to uh, hold up his end of the deal, which is going to mean uh, you know continuing to look spectacular in the 135 pound weight class. But if you look at the 135 pound weight class, I mean, you're 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 going to be seeing names that. Um, you know, have, uh, well, there's some names who haven't necessarily been involved in a title fight yet, but now all of a sudden a lot of those guys are coming off of losses, like Thomas Almeida, like Aljamain Sterling. Hinnon Burrell's already been the champ. Uh, T.J. Dillashaw, the former champ. So Brian Caraway, you say. That would be a, uh, yeah, you like that idea. I do. I just think that Caraway has not gotten kind of the recognition that what really his performance mm-hmm. in the octagons is warranting well he's the first man to ever defeat Aljamain Sterling that happened on the feature bout of the UFC fight pass prelims this Sunday night and he looked great doing it that was uh uh in, in my opinion a 29-28 fight that's the way two judges saw it uh the uh always reliable Adelaide Bird ah, Adelaide, I love her somehow my girl just, Adelaide I, I would love to have a conversation with her with some of the between boxing yeah my fights and yeah. you know other people's fights in MMA and be like, how did you score it that way? You know why I would love to to see that conversation happen because I am not certain that when she met you she wouldn't say, who are you? Probably true. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> yeah, just there's fights that she scores. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's not just like you can't sit there and say, well, she's a boxing background and she scores MMA fights with that boxing mentality. I've watched fights. I'm like. In boxing matches, I yeah. remember the Pacquiao Bradley, the first fight. Yeah, she gave. I'm like, and I watched the fight. I'm all, what is she seeing that I'm not seeing, and the other two judges and the rest of the world aren't yeah. seeing? You know what we got to do? One of these days, we've got. I've, I've talked to Herb Dean about coming on. He wants to come on phone booth fighting, and I think we we get a guy like that on and really get to the bottom of because you know Herb, I think he'd be just as dumbfounded because well no no he would but he's Herb, an intelligent guy yeah I, I have so much respect for him because not only is you know he a premier 
you know, ref. But he went and fought in King of the Cage. Yeah. Not to be a fighter. I mean, not that he had, I mean, not, I'm sure if he was successful at it, he might have, you know, but yeah. not that he wasn't successful at it. But he didn't walk in there with like, well, let me fight for the sake of fighting. Right. He said that it'd be like, I mean, like with you and doing jujitsu. I mean, I know you like jujitsu, but mm-hmm. there's a part of you as from the journalistic background that by competing makes you that much more able to understand and ask questions and relate to a fighter. Oh, yeah. It'd be like me being a journalist for music. Yeah. And I don't know how to even write out a song. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. You can't even like hold a tune. Like, no, that, that's what got me originally interested in training jiu-jitsu, was to be able to speak more knowledgeably about what I was seeing. And, and that's why I always recommend it to people, even on the most introductory levels. It, you will, if nothing else, you will appreciate more what you're seeing. You'll yes. know more about what you're seeing. You'll understand more. Well, our criteria for an MMA judge, I mm-hmm. would really love to hear. Yeah what it takes well i know herb and uh john mccarthy both uh you know they run camps every year for people to learn to either ref or to be fight judges and they they can explain in the camp how the whole thing works like you start out at the amateur shows and then you you know you got to work your way up to get there but but what no one's ever really been able to answer for me is exactly how some of, where some of the judges came from. The only thing I really know about Adelaide Bird is I believe she is the wife of Robert Bird, the old boxing referee. Um, but other than that, I'm just not sure what. I mean, obviously these people are not former fighters, but even if you're not going to be a former fighter, I'm just not sure what drew you into this that, you know, realm. I wish there was some accountability. Yeah, where. The commission, I mean, as a fighter, so much accountability. As a referee, if you make a bad call, you might not be a referee anymore. Mm-hmm. If you sit there and watch a guy get pounded 15 times after he's unconscious, you're not going to be refereeing anymore. To me, if you have enough times where your name becomes synonymous with really bad decisions, where yeah. it's not just a couple times, but it's like on a routine basis where someone goes, Hey, a bad decision. And we're like, well, who did it? Adelaide Bird. Oh, man. Yeah, let me yeah. tell you. And you have story after story of really piss poor decisions that the other two judges didn't get the general consensus. I mean, I know that in fights, people talk about the difference between being there live and the difference of watching it on television. But when pretty much the general consensus is that you got it wrong, mm-hmm. I think there should be some type of accountability where you have to sit there with the commission and sit there, okay, fight's on tape. Uh, round one, we watched the fight. What did you score and why? Well, mm-hmm. I scored at 10-9. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, explain yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, supposedly, uh, and again, maybe we'll get uh, Herb Dean on to, to uh, you know really explain it to us, but supposedly uh, some of this stuff does happen, or at least it's supposed to happen. My understanding is, as I've heard him explain it before, is that they do judge a uh they, they look at how close a judge's decisions are a lot of times to another judge so you know if it's a if, it, if it's a round that could have gone either way or a fight that could have gone either way maybe they're not looking at that they're not scrutinizing it so much but if it's a fight like uh i i mean sunday night's fight was a good example it wasn't like the biggest robbery i've ever seen to maybe score it split for sterling but to me it was very clear to and i didn't hear anybody else say oh that might have been 29 28 yeah, for, it seems for sterling we all can sit there and agree with yeah is that Aljamain won the first round you know had correct the triangle on the back dominant position but the next two rounds it's like again not a blowout by 
uh, Caraway, but sound control. It was position. Clear. It was you know, clear. Submission attempts. Yeah. You know, really, you know, knocking on the door with some of the chokes. Yeah. Putting him in in positions where it's like, oh yeah. He won that round. Yeah. Not, you know, the guy wasn't, you know, being flung. It wasn't a uh, Frankie Edgar, uh, 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 Gray Maynard type of fight where, you know, he's doing backflips after getting uppercut and, you know, right. oh, my God, 10-8. Then you went the other way. But yeah. it's like, oh, hey, hey, that guy soundly controlled that guy and did everything. Yeah. Effective striking, effective ring control, effective, you know, uh, ground control. It's like, hey, he hit every check mark and you gave it to the other guy. Yeah. Okay. Explain it. Yeah. Again, <laughs> can you be transparent with us yeah. as fans? Because then maybe you're seeing something and you could enlighten us. I yeah. mean, I always, just, I never assume someone's wrong. I just figure it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. Well, well, please help me understand you. Yeah. Maybe I'll sit there and go, you know what? Damn, Adelaide, I was wrong. I do see how you could give that second round yeah. to uh, Brian, okay, or to uh, Aljamain, you know? Okay. You know, I think you've it. named the. I think what we, we do is we start getting Adelaide Bird on the sh- on the show for her own recurring segment called "Damn Adelaide." <laughs> that'll be that'll be the thing we can uh, your former opponents on yeah. for an installment of Frank well, Mir on the record. Back, you know, I think the Brian Caraway. Yeah. You know, he's not getting younger. Yeah. I think that he has been put up there and, and he's fought some guys very effectively. I think, like we were talking about, you know, I think tonight he was either sixth or eighth going into this fight. You know, he should be, you know, Al Jermaine, I know, was ranked fourth. Mm-hmm. He should be pushed up there. If, uh, you know, he, I think for whatever reason, you know, uh, he just doesn't get that fanfare push. And it might be, you know what, he's, you know, he's hooking up with Misha Tate. There might be a little bit of animosity there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People look at Misha and that's his, you know, and she's very, you know, speaks very highly of him. And, you know, that he coaches her. That might hurt him. You know, sometimes when people are, you know. They hate on you, you mm-hmm. know, to, to say it in a very lowbrow way. But, um, you know, the guy, I mean, he does it. He performs in the octagon. Yeah. You know? I also think that his style is it, 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 it is tailor made to be underappreciated because what he is is tenacious. He's not, it's not Cody Garbrandt going in there and knocking you out halfway through the first round, but it is a guy that wears you like a suit for three rounds yes. and when it's over with you go man that guy who was fighting whoever that person may be on any given night yeah, he just makes couldn't everybody i mean if you think about it too yeah he, no one looks good against him yeah really i mean he kind of takes everybody out of their element because of that yeah. pressure jump on you you know he sits there and, and even when he's in bad positions i've seen him when he's on his back and his guard you know guys look like they might be getting you know doing a little bit but he just kind of keeps it close yeah they make one mistake boom he takes their back and then now he puts pressure on them and finishes you know see and i think that the the, the real challenge in terms of the marketing of brian caraway is to an educated fan they're going to look at that fight Sunday night and say, wow, Brian Caraway made Aljamain Sterling look human. But to an uneducated fan, they may look at that and go, man, Aljamain Sterling just didn't have it tonight. Man, yeah, he was off. You're right. You I think know? that's what he's a victim of. Is yeah. that he doesn't, his style isn't flashy. He's yeah. not, you know, like uh, Cody Garbrandt, not putting you out, you know, putting your lights out. Right. It's a very much of a marching forward very sound basics you know he doesn't have a lot of flaws as far as you go well i wouldn't do that you can't really sit there and go well caraway has a gaping hole in his game here yeah Uh, on the flip side i don't look at any part of his game and go man do not go here or do not go there 
he's really good at everything. And then on top of that, like you said, he just he has a great pace. He pushes the pedal down. He uh, doesn't get in trouble. He tries not to get hurt and stunned. And whenever he has an opportunity, he doesn't do stupid things. You know, you'll see him take the back, go for the choke. But it's like, well, if you don't give up the choke, I'm not going to give up the back. Yeah. I'll ride out the round and we'll finish here. I'll win on points if you don't give me the choke. Where I think some guys have that, you know, hit home runs mm-hmm. where he's kind of like you know a ted williams type it's like well i don't have to put it over the fence but if i constantly get on base mm-hmm. i'm going to kind of beat you with the short game he's yeah, a short beat game you baseball with my high average yeah he goes hey you know what i'm going to constantly put the bat on the ball and i'm going to get on base i'm going to hit 410 for the season yeah you know look I, at us with our old school baseball yeah, references like yeah uh so so uh also when we play a little bit of audio from the post-fight press conference here uh jeremy little heathen stevens defeats hen and burrell in burrell's featherweight debut uh 29 28 across the board for the judges and i'll tell you what i mean stevens could not finish burrell but i'm not sure what's going on with hen and burrell's in a little bit of a no man's land right now you know i mean he he it was it was not two years ago a year and a half ago we were talking about him as possibly you know, arguably one of the best pound for pound fighters well, going. Right after he destroyed Uriah Faber yep. in like three minutes. Yep. Uriah Faber is one of the best mixed martial artists in the world. Yeah. Um, right now, if you wanted to have an argument for the best guys that haven't won a UFC title, mm-hmm. Uriah Faber has to be in that argument. Yeah. Um, you know, talking you know uh, about his abilities and what he's done, and obviously, I don't think he he. <laughs> doesn't get the respect because he held the WC title so many times consecutively that he does have that championship respect, but he hasn't won a UFC strap yet. Yeah. Um, when Hennon Burrell went out there and just demolished him, yeah. um, when's the last time you've seen I mean, who does that to Uriah Faber? Yeah. Uh, when's the last time you've seen anybody? I mean, I've seen people beat Uriah, but I mean, I've seen Frankie Edgar, who's probably one of the best in the world pound for pound. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he he's picked him apart. I right. mean, that was a that was a, a technical show of attrition. You yeah. know, and then you had Jose Aldo, and Jose Aldo was at his best. Mm-hmm. Beat him down, you know, beat him, but still didn't finish him. You know, Uriah was able to finish the fight. Yeah. You know, his leg looked like it might, you know, yeah. he might not walk the same anymore. Sure did. But even Jose Aldo didn't get him out of there. Yeah. Not and then for Burrell to come out there and, and take care of him, I think it was three minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, that was impressive. And Burrell, you know, you know, was on a streak. Yeah. I don't think anybody gave TJ Dillashaw I mean, it was kind of an afterthought that okay, so after you get past TJ, what are you gonna do? At the time I I said at the at the post fight presser that that was the greatest upset in UFC history. Now, since then, I think Holly Holm beating Ronda Rousey has sur- surpassed it. But if you look at what the odds were, T.J. Dillashaw was a bigger underdog than Matt Serra was to George St. Pierre. Yeah, I mean, if, and especially in terms of of high profile fights like title fights, yeah. I think up to that point that might have been the greatest upset in UFC you. history. Hundred percent. And then he did it again. Yeah, then he comes back and does it yeah. even better. Yeah, then he did it again. So okay, so now Burrell has hit a glass ceiling in the bantamweight division. There, you're looking over there, going TJ's still the champ, I guess, at the point in time that he decides to maybe think about going up to featherweight to kind of reinvent, and you know maybe he stays. I, he was always having trouble with the weight cut. I mean, that's what caused yeah, we talked the. About it on the show. That's week. what caused the rematch with T.J. Dillashaw to be delayed in Sacramento when uh, Burrell passed out and he couldn't make weight. So maybe for better or for worse, he needs to stay up at 145 pounds. I mean, losing to Jeremy Stevens, nothing to sneeze at. We talked last week 
about how Stevens is, you know, fairly recently a former lightweight, so he was coming down in weight. But you know, it it it's just uh, I, I'm sure Burrell, you know, is is going to be able to find his footing eventually. But just a tough spot to be yeah. in because well, and in hindsight, it's 2020, right? Yeah, I think Stevenson could have been a bad. Well, again. I had thought about that, but then I'm like, ah, Stevens is still losing weight because Stevens, uh, the first thing that always comes to mind is how hard that guy hits yep. at a lightweight. So at yeah. 155, the guy has bazookas yeah. for hands. Right. I'm like, well, but he has to cut 10 more pounds. Is that going to take some of his power edge off? And I think that's what you really saw on Sunday is that even though he didn't knock out Burrell, I think, you know, Hennon felt the power. Mm. And I, hey, I've been there. Mm -hmm. You get a punch and someone hits you with a shot and you kind of look at him going, Man, you know, hey, change levels and shoot. You're like, I don't know if you guys failed to notice that last shot that buzzed by my head, <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of making re re I mean, one thing is to be outside the cage and go, hey, this is what you need to do. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yes, but you're not feeling what it feels like to be right. hit by that guy. Yeah. There's my subconscious reptilian, you know, primal yeah. brain yeah. is telling me no. Yes. You know? And so sometimes guys shift gears, and that's kind of what I thought happened with a little bit of Barrow was, Okay, I'm not going to win necessarily, but I don't want to get knocked out. Yeah. I don't want to get finished. And, you know, so I'm going to slow down the pace of the fight. You know, obviously, if, you know, Stevens did something stupid, Burrell's still going to try to take over. But, yeah. you know, someone with Stevens's power hits you a couple times, it can, it can stop you in your tracks. It can make you, you know, have a little bit more, uh, you know, thought of your mortality, yeah. you know, than, you know, that you would have going into there. Yeah. Uh, Lorenz Larkin also uh, defeated Jorge Masvidal via split uh, decision, 29-28 on two of the cards, 28-29 on the other. And I've got some audio from uh, uh, the guys uh, from uh, Cody Garbrandt, from uh, Jeremy Stevens, Lorenz Larkin, and uh, Brian Carraway. So I thought we'd give this a listen. My questions uh, to the winners at the post-fight press conference this past Sunday night at Mandalay Bay. Uh, question for Jeremy Stevens. Uh, Jeremy, were you surprised that uh, so much of the fight was on the feet, that uh, Burrell either wasn't able to take you to the ground, or do you just attribute that to your takedown defense? Uh, just contribute that to uh, my takedown defense. i got a great wrestling coach, uh, Daryl Christian. You know, I have a great team. Uh, we wrestle hard. We, I mean, we go for hour, 75 minutes. We've wrestled before in this camp nonstop. Uh, we didn't take one minute break. You know, it's, it's a mental barriers that we go through. Eric Del Ferro being the head coach, uh, you know, he, he brings us mentally strong. We're well prepared. And uh, I have good uppercuts and knees that I was able to utilize in feints and fakes. And, you know, when I exchange with people, I've, I've, I'm known to knock a lot of guys out. And uh, I know they're going to try to take me down. So that's part of my game plans to uppercut, knee them, and uh, just break them like that. So uh, I, I wasn't really surprised. Uh, question for Rick Story. Rick, uh, I saw Neil Melanson posted congratulations. He said that you had asked him to corner him last minute. Uh, is that a something a relationship you'll continue at this point? Any thought about that? Um, you know, he brought it up, and it's not anything that I'm gonna like pass by. Uh, Neil is a great grappling coach. Uh, I mean, one of the best I've ever experienced. So, uh, definitely gonna. Uh, think about that opportunity that's available to me and make a decision down the road. Uh, for Cody Garbrandt, Cody, uh, post-fight comments, you uh, stated definitively you thought uh, you should be looked at as, as top 10. John Anik said it might even 
uh, go higher than that at this point. What do you consider with this win? What, what is it that you uh, would expect in terms of standing, in terms of your next opponent? Do you feel like it's definitively, you know, will be a top 10 opponent? First off, you know, I deserve some respect. You know, that's going out there talking about a 21 0 guy who's just ran through everybody and knocked him out in under three minutes. So let me get at least in the top 10. Let me get these guys that I want to, you know, want to fight. These the guys that are high caliber. The higher the, the opponent for me, the more that I shine. And lastly, for Lorenz Larkin. Uh, Lorenz, uh, Jorge Masvidal had a couple of guillotine attempts on you. Were, were either one of those uh, uh, close at all? Were they a concern? And then secondly, was a split decision? Do you feel like it, it was that close of a decision? Or uh, do you disagree with the scorecard there? Um, I don't know, man. Lately, I've been disagreeing with a lot of the judges' scorecards. So, you know, it is what it is. And, um, but the guillotine, you know, I, like I always say in my fights, man, I, I'm not, everybody just thinks I'm the striker, you know. I, I have a jits game, you know, but if I don't have to use it, then for what? You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I just don't see myself getting tapped out like that. You know, I, I really believe in my jits, my jits game, and, um, you know, I'm not going to get tapped out to no standing guillotine. That's it's not going to happen, so, you know. I'm not going to get tapped out to no standing guillotine. That's a catchphrase. Did they say it's standing or damn? No standing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an attempt yeah. at a standing guillotine, yeah. Yeah, and I, I should say, I said I was asking uh, Brian Carraway a question there. That was actually Rick Story, who uh, handled Tarek Safadine pretty easily, got a decision victory over him. The interesting thing coming out of the, the Rick Story uh, uh, situation, uh, in addition to the, his layoff, was the fact that he had asked Neil Melanson to corner him kind of last minute and of course we're both big big uh, fans of neil melanson yes. and uh the the black zillions grappling coach and uh, you know for whatever reason story just kind of added him to the team real last minute and and obviously realized the the benefits of it even having him short notice so it sounds like that might be a relationship that's going to continue you heard rick story say there uh, tell me at uh, in, in his comments that neil had brought it up to him so uh, he'd, he'd he'd be hard pressed to think of a better guy to work with on grappling than neil melanson also uh on the uh prelims portion we saw uh chris Camozzi pretty easily uh, handle Vitor Miranda via unanimous decision. Couldn't finish Miranda. Nobody has yet in the UFC. But Kamozi beats him uh, across the boards 30-27. And just like that, Chris Kamozi is on a three-fight winning streak in the UFC. Here's how unusual this is. Kamozi is a guy who is on his third run in the UFC. He's been cut twice and now is having the biggest success of his career on a three-fight streak. Ever since he came back, you know, he took that short-notice fight against Jacare Souza and lost. I think because he was willing to take it to come back in the organization, and I can't remember how short of a notice it was, but I think it was like, day I mean, it might have been like 72 hours or something like that as i recall when he took it a few years ago and uh obviously he was rewarded for that by being given another shot in the ufc and he's made the most of it so uh, uh definite congratulations to chris Camozzi. sarah mcmahon dominated jessica i 30 27 she continues to remain a real contender in the women's bantamweight division i think you know i mean despite the fact that ronda rousey was able to finish her as quickly as she was i don't yeah. think i don't think we've seen the last of Sarah McMahon in no, title I wish, contention. I, I like the fact that she is sticking to it. 
I think that that fight just, you know, she got caught, you know, that, that took a knee from uh, Rousey and, yeah. uh, you know, hurt her early. And I thought that that fight was really going to be one of the biggest tests of uh, Ronda Rousey's career yeah. because of uh, the wrestling pedigree of Sarah McMahon. Mm-hmm. I, I think still we consider her probably one of the strongest wrestlers or at least has the most decorated wrestling uh, accolades in the, the female's bantamweight uh, class. So the fact that, you know, and her athletic ability, uh, her power with her hands, seeing her come out there and be able to piece together uh, wins and just mature as a martial artist and put her game together to make that transition fully to MMA, I think that really we're going to see somebody that's going to be, uh, you know, pushing for a title. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, also, uh, Abel Trujillo uh, won his fight on the prelim portion of the card. He defeated Jordan Rinaldi via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Very emotional, Abel Trujillo, uh, in the media room after the fight. You know, he was dedicating the fight to Bellator fighter Jordan Parsons, who was a fellow Black Zillion that wow. you know a few weeks ago yeah, was killed. Story. Yeah, was killed in uh, Florida in the hit and run. Uh, and uh, uh, he was very emotional about that. So Abel Trujillo, I think, felt good uh, being able to get a win in that his uh, team, jail, right? teammates' honor. Had they, I believe they caught. Yeah, I think they have caught him, and I, I believe he was being held without. But I don't. I don't know the status of the bail. Is I guess my answer. Uh, yeah, I do know they caught him. I think him, the guy already yeah. showed that he's willing to hide his uh, absolutely uh, Range Rover and try to get people yeah. to fix it. I mean, yeah, right. That already that behavior is pretty shifty. Yeah. I mean, Look, I mean, we all make mistakes. I think your first instinct is like, oh, man, how can I get out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, that's just human mm-hmm. uh, behavior. But I think that there's a, you know, you sit there and you go, okay, this is what I did. You know, you have to you know, stand up to it. Yeah. Well, and it's also not like you, you don't know that the, that the person's dead. I mean, yeah. even let's just say you don't stop strip, and get yeah. the medical help I mean, called nine one one. Yeah, strip away everything else. The fact that you don't have the the common, just the human decency to say whether or not I cause this or not. That somebody it may be dying. Seconds count here. I'm obviously the first person on the scene because I did it. So I need to be the person calling nine one one, trying to save this person's life. And then he took his Range Rover that he hit him with. Hit it inside of a uh, storage unit. Yeah. Tried to get a, re- a body shop to fix it. Uh, you don't give that guy bail. No, and that even goes to show you too that even after in the the, the moment of panic or whatever yeah, that hey, you're calculated. You're yeah. I can't fault people under pressure. What you're going to do because we've all been there. You're under pressure. Who knows what you're going to mm-hmm. do? I mean, I'd like to think of what I would do in situation. Yeah. But you have days yeah. to think about what you're doing. Yeah. Th- that means now that the shock value is, is over with. You're being calculating. That's who you really are. You know I mean? yeah. you're, you're really honestly like, ah, it's a bad. Well, like I said, that's a great indication of your character. Yeah, it really is. You don't deserve bail. Abel Trujillo uh, also, on a brighter note, uh, credited his win. Get ready for this, Frank, with his new vegan lifestyle. Welcome, newest vegan to the UFC, Abel Trujillo. And I talked to Abel uh, for a couple of minutes uh, uh, exclusively, one-on-one, one vegan to another. I could deal with that. That doesn't bother me. The only (laughs) time sometimes uh, I bite down on my teeth a little bit is when people try to, you know, they say God is the reason why they won the fight. Oh, yeah, that one's bad. Yeah, Yeah. because I'm just like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. So God didn't like the other guy. God had to choose. Or God cares about professional fighting. Yeah. 
No, exactly. But uh, but Abel talked about this in uh, the media room after the fight. If you uh, saw this already on my Instagram, it's posted. The video is at uh, Richard Hunter on Instagram. But let's play the audio here. A couple of minutes of uh, Abel Trujillo talking about uh, actually deconstructing some some myths about veganism as it pertains to being a professional fighter. And you know, can you can you can you maintain your strength? Let's uh, listen to what Abel Trujillo had to say here. Abel Trujillo, congrats on the victory. Abel, I know this was your uh, first fight since becoming a vegan, so I want to ask you about how that affected you physically. How'd you feel? Man, I felt great. It really didn't seem like in this fight, it seemed like I got winded, but in my personal life and training, uh, you know, I feel great. Um, my blood and my body is more in an alkaline state, and, you know, my blood flows freely, and uh, I'm less likely to get injured, and I have more mental clarity. And not only that, my spirit feel, feels more enlightened because, uh, you know, this karma connected to eating animals. So, you know, I just want to give a message to everybody, you know, to go vegan because it's healthy for the mind, body and spirit. What would you say to the myth that people think that that uh, professional fighters are going to be, you know, weakened if they eat a vegan diet? Well, um, that's all a myth. You know, all, everybody says, oh, where you get your protein? And people that say that, they have no muscle whatsoever. If you want some protein, you know, get... Abel Trujillo, oh, that video cut off right there at the end, but I think he plugged quinoa at that point. But well, uh, there's there's obviously a number of uh, protein alternatives. Yeah, that's what you brought up. I remember yep. one time we were having a discussion about that, that, uh, you know, animal protein, you know, it's like, look, you know, and... and my, any physician, I think, would tell you that once you break things down to a macronutrient, protein, you know, there's different forms of it, but protein as amino acids is mm-hmm. amino acids is mm-hmm. what it breaks down to. You know, we're in a society nowadays that yeah, you do have the benefit of technology. Mm-hmm. There's protein powders. My wife takes a vegan protein powder. You know, you can go around and find sources of protein that don't necessarily have to come from an animal. Now, if we lived 200 years ago, yeah. Is it going to be readily available to a person? Well, no. I'm pretty sure it'd be easier to go out there and shoot a deer mm-hmm. and consume your protein in that form. But, I mean, that's just really not the situation we are in our society. No. And there's also plenty of ways uh, that, that you can hand make those things. Uh, uh, tempeh, setan, for example, that's uh, a lot of what my girlfriend Jennifer will use. She makes bacon out of it. She uh, makes, Honestly, she makes burgers a lot of out of it. Yeah, That's one reason why I, I tried doing the vegan thing for a couple mm-hmm. months. You know, in years past... Uh, my mom had really kind of went that route. Uh-huh. I, I tried to uh, try it out. Uh, honestly, it's due to laziness on my part. It's easier if I'm out to order a steak and vegetables. Mm-hmm. I kind of hit all the spectrum of nutrients and protein. It's easier. Uh, you have to, you know, it's not as easy as convenient. I see it with you. You have to put a lot more thought when you get up in the morning on how your food intake is going to be living the lifestyle that you live compared to myself who's like well i mean we go to a restaurant you know the whole menu is available to me if you're going to make a vegan lifestyle choice you could be a vegan and i've had friends that are vegan and that sort and and those are the vegans i that i'm like yeah that's not healthy you know you sit there you know they can order you know uh you know technically french fries like you said yeah you could eat nothing but french fries and technically be a vegan vegan. you know what i mean but i'm like a terrible "Eh." idea (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you go to yeah. your doctor and get your blood work done, you're not healthy. You're what right. You're a, a yeah, vegan, yeah. but you're not a healthy. There's no way that no. that's healthy. What a uh, what a terrible idea that would be. Let's, yeah, it takes uh, a lot of effort. 
let, let's uh, turn. So anyway, uh, congratulations to Abel Trujillo. I'll be sharing some nice vegan recipes with him uh, as, uh, as, as I see him uh, the next time. Let's uh, check in with a little Facebook feedback, Frank, before you and I talk about a couple of very important heavyweight matchups that have been announced for later on in the year. Facebook feedback on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page is where we like to read uh, some comments that uh, people have made and tell us what they're thinking about the show, requests they may have, etc. Uh, this one, uh, Frank, from Jordan Dimery. He says, hey guys, I just wanted to say thanks for making this podcast. I just started listening and I am hooked. I've always been a huge Frank Mir fan, so to get to hear him provide insight on a wide range of things, including politics, like the Chael Sonnen episode, uh, is very enjoyable. Mir fans, uh, like me, loved watching Mir KO Duffy, but it was slightly conflicting as Duffy was one of my other favorites, but only one can win. Well, there you go. See there? you, you uh, a huge compliment. A little bit of an MMA love triangle yeah. there. You and... Uh, Todd Duffy shared the admiration of uh, Jordan there. Now, uh, this message actually came to us via Snapchat. And again, a reminder that uh, Frank and I are really enjoying seeing you guys snap us those pictures of uh, what you are doing and where you're doing it while you're listening to Phone Booth Fighting. Just go to Snapchat username Phone Booth Fight. Send us a photo of you listening to Phone Booth Fighting. Let us know what you're doing, if you're on the job or you're working out. Or uh, I've seen some, uh, some far more candid moments from people of uh, what they're doing while they're listening to Phone Booth Fighting as well. We actually got a picture. You don't like this. Hold on. We actually got a picture of a lady who was listening to phone booth fighting while she was relaxing in the tub. You want to see? Hold on. Hold on. Let me find it. Hold on. Here. Check this out. Relaxing with phone booth fighting. There you go. Yeah. See there? Uh, it's safe for work. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. So uh, we'll be posting those for you guys. Uh, but this comment came via uh, our phone booth fight Snapchat. Uh, this from Flash Flanagan. Uh, Frank, he's seeking a little advice. He says, hi, guys. I am seeking advice. I'm awaiting a kidney transplant. This was the guy, remember, last week that was on dialysis yes. while he was listening? I saw a picture. Yeah, he says, I'm awaiting a kidney transplant, and I'm limited for work because I can only do so much. Money is tight, yet for some reason life is keeping me here. I'm angry a lot, and I scare myself because of what lupus has done to me at a very young age. And so uh, he said he has a donor for his transplant, but it may still be a few months away. And I guess it's just frustrating to have to kind of wait for that. I mean, I can't even begin to say that I can imagine what it's like to, to be in that position. But what do you think? He's asking for advice. What do you think you would do to try to stay positive if uh, you knew that you were, you were physically depleted while you were going through the dialysis and, uh, you know, that it might be a few months before you can actually have some surgery to correct the situation? I think you just look at the situation and, and realize that you, you have to make the small steps and decisions that you can make. You can't get, uh, you know, too crazy about uh, controlling factors that aren't in your control. I mean, life in all ways does that to us. They throw us curveballs that it's not, you're not capable of controlling. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why, you know, 
it's like getting ready for a fight. I can't control what the other guy's doing. That's life. I can't control if he's stronger than I am, faster than I am, if, he, if he's better than I am. All mm -hmm. I can do is really control what's within my uh, capabilities and make sure that I'm best prepared as possible. So when you look at any kind of situation in that sense where, you know, I'm looking at dialysis, you know, with the liver issues, you know, uh, that, that, that he has, well, what can he do that's within his control? You know, keeping his mind positive and not just making those statements. You know, a lot of people sit there and be like, you know, hey, you know, you got to swing for the ball. It's like, yeah. I get it, man. You know, you got to keep your chin up. All right, that's great. But how? Yeah. You know, so, you know, is it, you know, uh, turn to reading? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, uh, hanging out more and spending more time with the family to keep you focused, keep you positive? Because we all know that positive uh, mentality only helps healing. Um, you know, not getting down on yourself, not being negative, not doing any self-destructive behavior, which is very easy, you know. And if you do fall into that uh, situation where, you know, I mean, I, I suffered a pretty traumatic leg injury. And there was I times. something about that. Yeah, there was times that I f fell into the black pit of self-loathing and, mm -hmm. and anger and, and just, you know, why me? Why is this going on? And there's questions that can't be answered. No one's going to answer the questions of fate. Yeah. Why you were picked out to have this problem. Uh, all you can do is just fight the fight. I can't figure out how many guns the other guy has or what army he has. All I'm going to look at the situation and try to best handle it that yeah. I can. So I, that's why. And if you like, what I'll say is, if you do make those mistakes, and I had, you know, go out and start drinking because it made me feel better because I was distracted. Uh, you know, the next day, get back on your horse. Just because yeah. you failed doesn't mean you can't right, the next day. Right, that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, hey, that was yesterday. It's behind me. Yep. I can't let that consume me to fail again today. I'll tell you another thing I always try to look at, too, and I, I think it certainly would be the case in his situation with the kidney transplant, is I, I, I my first point of security would be looking at something and going, okay, this is fixable. You know, this is not fatal. Fortunately, we live in an age of modern medicine where there's a such, you know, the kidney transplant is, is, is going to remedy this situation and that's it's a big deal i mean oh, yes. it's major but it's it's fixable you know and right. and 200 you years ago chance. yeah 200 years ago wouldn't have been fixable you know that sort of thing yeah. so at least there's uh I, I guess what i try to do is define parameters right away like okay how bad could this possibly get okay i've got my my there's a bottom to that you know right. realistically speaking i mean it's not this is not the first kidney transplant known to man or anything like that so okay there's a there's a course of action you know that that i can be confident in start from there and then say okay how can i make it as as uh, uh favorable yes yes as favorable as possible how can i get as many of those factors in my favor Correct. as possible and then just try Be to work your way from there the yeah well we will uh 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 what frank and i will do is we'll try to continue entertaining you with phone booth fighting so that's that's uh, uh better than going out uh, yeah that'll be your distraction that's right that's <laughs> right we're your sponsors uh flash flanagan so uh keep tuning in on a weekly basis to phone booth fighting now sometimes frank people are sending us video messages the pictures are a little easier for us to post up but uh this guy was creative enough he sent us a video message so i thought i'd play the audio off of our uh, phone booth fight snapchat give this a listen fighting i think richard has absolutely beautiful hair and frank Muir and i have become best friends on twitter from what i gather yes thank you uh, that uh, and and uh, you know what I apologize I can't uh, credit the name there because uh, sometimes with Snapchat it gets a little confusing uh, with uh, what messages came from who and all that sort of one thing that's weird about the video you only get two chances to watch it and then it's gone 
So I saw the video from the guy, and I was like, oh, we got to play this on the air. So I had to whip out my mobile recorder. I was actually in the press conference Sunday night, got out my mobile recorder and held it up to the phone so I could record it so we could play it on the air. But anyway, sir, uh, thank you for that uh, fine compliment, and we appreciate you listening. All right, if you have uh, thoughts, questions, comments, and observations, you can share them via the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. The Facebook page is called Phone Booth Fighting, and that does it for another edition of Facebook Feedback. Frank, let's talk about a couple of big-time heavyweight matchups that have been announced for later on in the uh, summer in the UFC. First of all, UFC 203, which is set to go down in Cleveland uh, in September, I believe that's going to be. It's going to be headlined by Stipe Miocic defending his heavyweight title for the first time against top contender Alistair Overeem. But now... Uh, Fabricio Verdum versus Ben Rothwell has been added to the undercard. How do you like that fight? Oh, that's a great fight. I think Ben Rothwell is, man, the guy is just a, a solid fighter, well-rounded, uh, you know, has submissions, has hands, has height, has size. Um, you know, it, it, you know, hey, Fabricio is just the champ. I, I think his striking is, uh, is definitely something that has to be contended for now. I know he just got caught by uh, Miocic, but uh, like we were saying earlier in the show, what heavyweight now in the top ten has not been knocked out? Mm-hmm. Um, heavyweights, if they make a mistake, and he made a mistake in that fight, ran forward and uh, got caught. Uh, I think it's a fight that uh, definitely, uh, you know, with the kicking and punching of uh, Fabricio, can try to, you know, peg and, 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 and work on uh, – on Rothwell, and Rothwell's going to have to use his grappling now in reverse, as he's shown to be able to do that in the past. I think keeping you know a standing fight would uh, do him uh, favorable. Uh, you know, I think it's a great matchup. The, the fight with uh, Stipe, you know, Stipe is you know he's the champ. He has great power in his hands. Um, uh, again, if any heavyweight catches each other, we've seen Stipe get knocked out you know by Struve with an uppercut, and, and so you know there's the potential to get caught by. Uh, uh, Alistair, uh, I think that uh, the one thing that really uh, you know Stipe has going for him in, in this fight is that Alistair right now has really become a multifaceted uh, attack. You know, obviously he's always been a K1 champ. You know, we've seen that since his, uh, his reign in uh, the UFC. Kicks, hands, strikes. Probably has one of the best clinches and knees. But really, his ground and pound is ferocious. It's it's very uh, volatile. He has some of the best elbows and ground and pound in the heavyweight division, in my opinion. Um, but what gets him there is the takedowns. And he has kind of really underrated uh, takedowns. We don't really, when you talk about Alistair Overeem, oh, his double leg is not something that comes to mind. But uh, he put, you know, uh, he's put guys on their back before. Uh, and when he gets them there, he's very dangerous. If he's able to secure a takedown on Stipe, I think that would really slant it towards him. <clears throat> but I think Stipe is going to be very hard for him to take down. I think that uh, Stipe has great hands and great foot mo- movement, but uh, Alistair is more probably of a complete all-around striker as far as a good boxer. We've seen the left hook he's, he's knocked out JDS with, uh, kicks. You know, we've seen him you know, end Brock Lesnar's career with his, uh, his liver kick, uh, and then his knees is are crushing you know and so in the clinch i think he has an advantage but you know if he can land that right hand speaking of stipe at this point it looks like if he lands it on anybody 
uh, you know, he's going to retain the title. And also no secret to what the UFC is doing here with an insurance policy. Uh, if somebody were to become injured in that main event between uh, between Stipe Miocic and Alistair Overeem, you would have either uh, you would have either Rothwell or Verdum that could uh, step up. Do you think so? The They're both event. coming off of losses. Well, under normal circumstances, I don't think they would do that. But if you look at who's already committed, uh, and and this has actually taken me to my next point, which is that uh, Andre Arlovsky and Josh Barnett have been made. Uh, that match has been made for September 3rd in Germany. So what would happen is if you go uh, through the top 10 of UFC heavyweights, uh, Miosic, Verdum, Velasquez, who already has his fight book with Travis Brown, Overeem, Dos Santos is, is there, but he's coming off a loss as well. Rothwell, Arlovsky. Oh, no, Dos Santos coming off of a win, right? Who did he just? Rothwell. Uh. Wait, yes, that's that, yes, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking of the uh, the Dos Santos uh, loss to Alistair Overeem, no, but we've was, had a fight think, since then. Yeah, yes, you're his right. His fight since then was his. He that's had, right. Uh, Rothwell a loss. Yes, that's right. Five okay. round decision. Okay, so he, I guess what you could do is this. I guess depending on uh, the health of Junior Dos Santos, maybe he could step in if there was an injury to Where's that Mark Hunt? to that title fight. Mark Hunt is sitting down at number eight. Uh, I guess he could step in, possible. I mean, he's a guy you can always call on short notice. Yeah, and he's a dangerous guy at any moment. Okay, well, maybe they don't have to. Maybe they don't have to break up that co-main, but you know, it's something the UFC likes to do if they can kind of have. Oh yeah, two no, I agree with you. Similar weight class, you know, the same weight class. But usually, I have guys that are in a situation where it would make sense to bounce yeah. one up. Yeah, I you're just right. don't see the. I could see it being a hard sell that Rothwell, mm -hmm. for example. You know, if it was, uh, you know, Verdum, you know, coming off Champion a loss, gets maybe. a rematch. Right? Yeah. No, but, you're right. You're right. It would probably be a little tough to sell that. But uh, I always like these fight cards, too, even, you know, when, when, when everybody does stay healthy. I like it when in one night we get a lot of questions answered about a division. You know, yeah. it's not just one fight. You're able to see through the course of a couple of fights what this means, you know, moving forward for uh, for that division. So that's a couple of heavyweight fights that uh, will take place later on in the year. All right, Frank, a couple of quick words about what we're going to expect this weekend at UFC 199. We'll get some audio here momentarily of myself talking to Michael the Count Bisbing, who is stepping in short notice, getting his title shot, his middleweight title shot, finally at long last coming off of a win over Anderson Spider Silva. He was not originally the guy that was supposed to take on Luke Rockhold, the champion. That was supposed to be Chris Weidman in a rematch, but Weidman is hurt, so Bisping steps in against Rockhold. I know we've talked a little bit about this uh, in the last couple of weeks on phone booth fighting, but uh, Rockhold is now uh, by odds this makers. Is a rematch, right? It is a rematch. Uh, Rockhold defeated Bisping uh, their first meeting, but Rockhold is a nine to one favorite by odds makers. Not not uh, no. No one's really given Michael uh, Bisping much of a chance here. Wow, Bisping's a hard fight every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, and Bisping will point out too about that first fight. Um, he the turning point in that fight there was a headbutt. There was an accidental headbutt from Rockhold, and Rockhold has acknowledged that it was accidental, but that there was a headbutt. And Bisping said that that really threw him off. That he, once that happened, his head was just never clear, and then he was finished. But uh, and you know it's it's not. I mean, those things happen in a fight, but I, I think 
particularly the fact that Rockholt sort of seems to acknowledge it. I heard Chell pointing this out on his podcast. He said, you know, it's one thing if the guy who got headbutted is complaining about a headbutt change in the fight, but if the other guy, meaning Rockholt, publicly acknowledges, yeah, I remember when it happened, and I did notice he was never the same after that. It seems like Rockholt's kind of given him a little bit of credit yeah, for that. So, I like that honesty. Yeah, I do too, and so maybe that uh, lends itself uh, to Bisping having a fighting chance in the main event. That being said, I mean, any 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 reason you think to uh, select Bisping over Rockhold? I think Rockhold's just a more complete fighter. Yeah, bigger, stronger, uh, reach, um, you know, uh, coming off, you know, the great momentum of, you know, going out there, really just the fight he had with Weidman was extremely impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't take anything away from Bisping. Bisping's a really complete fighter, too. Uh, very quick, great footwork. I mean, great, you know, technical mixed martial artist. If he wants to really break down, I mean, the guy's grappling to his striking, mm-hmm. how he mixes things together, he really is a very accomplished technical mixed martial artist. I think this kind of just comes down to, uh, you know, the, the the guy who knows, you know, has great, yeah, two guys with great technique. I'm going to go with the bigger guy. Let's give a, uh, a listen to my conversation with Michael Bisping earlier about this very topic. Hey, Mike. Good to talk to you, man. Uh, Michael Bisping joins me right now. Michael is uh, headlining UFC 199 this weekend in Los Angeles. My co-host Frank Mir and I will uh, be out there covering the fight live. It's uh, it's a replacement fight for you, Mike. Of course, uh, originally we were going to get Chris Weidman against Luke Rockhold in the rematch, but well-deserved, my friend. I mean, we've been talking about you getting a title shot for the better part of 10 years. I guess the weird twist is that for so many years we thought it was going to be against Anderson Silva. You go ahead and beat Silva in the biggest win of your career, your last fight, and now your title shot is against somebody else. Uh, obviously, it didn't play out exactly like you might have thought it would have, but does it feel like you thought it would have? Yes, you know, for me, everything's happening perfectly. I wanted to buy Anderson Silva. I wanted to beat Anderson Silva. I went out there. I that. Of course, you didn't have the belt. So my next fight is again the world champion Luke Rockhold. Uh, you know, for me, everything's happening perfectly. You can't keep a good man down. The UFC tried to keep me away from that belt, but I just keep beating everybody. I've been the greatest of all time. Yeah, I have no choice but to give me the shot. Now, you and Luke Rockhold faced off before back in 2014. There was he, he came out the winner in that fight, became the only man to ever finish you, but there was a, a pivotal point in that fight uh, that involved an accidental headbutt. Now, fighters, you know, a lot of times will, will make excuses. Uh, there was a headbutt, there was an eye poke, what have you. But what made this unique is you, not only did you point out there was an accidental headbutt that, that really disoriented you, but Rockhold has acknowledged that that happened how much of a of a factor in the the first fight was that and how different do you think it would have been if the accidental headbutt hadn't happened well i'm going to show you how it's how different it would have been on saturday night believe me i've got to win this fight in that first round it was instrumental you know i sparred rock home before me it went five rounds and i beat the cup out of it and i was starting to do that very well in the first fight getting frustrated and then he came in and, and he headbutted me and he opened up a very significant cut right on my eyelid. He headbutted me right in the eye and it opened up a huge charge and blood was pouring into my eyes constantly. Uh, it was just, you know, it was bad luck. I know he tried to headbutt me, but it was bad luck where the cut opened right on my eyelid and uh, blood was pouring into my eyes. So I kept wiping it away and as I wiped it away, 
you keep me in the head, you know, and getting certain snaps, you know, you can't be bitter about these things. Well done to him, he got the job done, whatever. But now I get my chance, I get my rematch, I get a chance of redemption, there will be no headbutts, uh, and there will be only one winner, and that will be me. I understand that Luke is an incredible fighter, I really do. I know what I'm up against, but I know this guy, I know him inside and out, and I know I can compete, and I know I can beat him. Mike, do you think that the couple of years that, uh, that have passed, a uh, year and a half, two years, but, but, but since that last fight, has actually made you a, a better fighter? I mean, most notably, the, the win of your career over, over Anderson Silva. Do you think, in a way, you're more fortified to take on Rock Holt for the title than you were back in 2014? Yeah, absolutely. I do believe I've, I've improved as a fighter, both physically and mentally. Since Rock Hall, since that fight, I haven't lost another fight. You know, I, I'm on a win streak. I just beat Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's a better fighter than Luke Rock Hall. Everybody knows that, you know. Uh, but, but Luke is tough, you know. But uh, he's predictable in his toughness. He throws a good kick and he has a good right hook. Uh, Anderson is way more unpredictable. Uh, but I am a better fighter. Luke also proclaims to be a better fighter. On top of that, this is a crunch match. I don't plan on losing to the same person twice in my career. So this is a person that I want to greet much for a long, long time. We have a better against each other. I don't like him. He doesn't like me. Finally, we get to throw down. And the tiles are staked. Why wouldn't I sign up to this? You know, give me any opportunity to push the asshole in the face and I will take it. I think a lot of people see you as being a a big threat to uh, Rockhold on the the feet. Rockhold has an accomplished ground game, and as as I mentioned, he he is on paper the only person to uh, have been able to submit you. But how much of a factor do you think that uh, you being disoriented by that headbutt? played in that in other words do, do you feel like there was a real risk of him submitting you had that headbutt not happened absolutely absolutely not that headbutt was instrumental and not only did it open up a huge but it also disorientated me I saw a massive flash of light and uh, you know I mean listen, but these, listen I don't know I thought about that I sound like a broken record it was instrumental in the fight it changed the turn of events in the fight but these things happen. It is a fight game, it's a contact sport, and unfortunately, accidents can happen, and they are the facts. You've got to be a man about it, you've got to deal with it. You know, I congratulated him on the net, well done. Uh, I've rebuilt myself, I've been in any top fight since then, I've been Anderson Silva, and now here I am again, and I get a chance to redo it all over again. And uh, this one won't be different. As I say, I've sparred him before, and uh, I got the better of him that time. He's me last time. Finally, we are getting to see Michael Bisbing challenge for the middleweight title of the world. It's going to be exclusively on pay-per-view this Saturday night, UFC 199, taking on Luke Rockhold. I will be there live, Octagon side, covering the fight. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Bisping. Mike, good luck in there Saturday. Uh, I'll see you around this weekend there in L.A. and uh, look forward to the next time we speak. Thank you for the time. Oh, my pleasure. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully see you this week. 
The co-main event, uh, Frank, literally melted down my iPhone last week. You heard the audio when I uh, was on a conference call with Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber. It caused my phone to overheat. The third time that these two are matching up, this time Dominic Cruz is a UFC Bantamweight champion. Faber challenges for the title. These guys uh, finally getting the third fight in their trilogy for a, a grudge that seems to have been around just about as long as the two fighters themselves in the WEC and then later on in the UFC. How competitive of a fight do you think it's going to be? Well, I mean, barring the the one time we've seen Uriah fight him and Burrell, I think that, you know, he's always in the fight. Uh, uh, Dominic Cruz, though, his footwork, his striking, his knowledge of the sport, he's really just, you know, a, a very difficult, uh, you know, problem for people to figure out. Uh, you know, he's such an elusive striker. And on top of that, you know, the minute you sit there, you try to, you know, worry about his striking, he really has great wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. his, you know, you saw that in the TJ Dillashaw fight, that not only, you know, you had two guys that have great footwork, great hand speed, but then the wrestling uh, component of the takedowns mm-hmm. uh, became a factor. Uh, and also, too, Cruz is a big guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, we did a, a Mexico uh, PR uh, event. And I was down there with him, and I, I remember, you know, he wasn't, you know, he, he, I mean, he wasn't like a week away from a fight. He still had about two months of training, mm-hmm. but he wasn't fat. The guy was lean and yeah. shape, you know. And I just remember looking at his legs and his back and going, man, you make 135, huh? Like, wow. Like, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, also, in the feature bout, uh, this is an exciting one for the featherweight division, number four Max Holloway taking on number five Ricardo Lamas. And, you know, because that featherweight uh, weight class is dominated right now by Conor McGregor as the champion and then, uh, you know, perennials, uh, former champs like Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar at the very uh, top of that division, numbers one and two. Of course, they'll be matching up in July at UFC Fight Week. It's kind of, you know, there, there's Max Holloway at the number four. I mean, this is a guy who himself, I mean, could could easily contend for a championship in the next year or so. And uh, it's kind of an easy fight to sleep on. But Max Holloway and Ricardo Lamas uh, sorting it out between the numbers uh, four and five of the division. Lamas is a tough guy uh, to uh, to take on as well, especially with his wrestling pedigree. Yeah, Lamas is a you know, solid guy. Great takedowns. Uh, great ground and pound, too. When he gets on top, he's not just scoring points. Uh, the guy can be very devastating and, uh, you know, and really impose his will in that area. But, uh, you know, Holloway is just, man, the guy's just dangerous. Uh, uh, his guillotine and some of his submissions uh, are just really, you know, top notch. You can't really, uh, you make a mistake and he doesn't look to tap you out. He looks to put you out. And, of course, Frank, you know, for obvious personal reasons, I keep a very close eye on the next fight that we're talking about, quite possibly the last fight for this Hall of Famer, Dan Henderson. will be taking on Hector Lombard. Henderson uh, goes into this fight as an underdog. Uh, odds makers have him at about a three and a half to one uh, underdog. But as I've made uh, no secret about on the show, Dan Henderson is the only fighter in the UFC mm-hmm. who is older than me, and not by much. And once he goes, there'll never be another one. So I need him to hang on for as long as possible. What's that? Dan Henderson is uh, taking on uh, Hector Lombard, and uh, yeah, so editing. <laughs> yeah, so I don't. Uh, I I I I I fear the day that I look up and every single fighter in the UFC is younger than me. And once Dan Henderson's gone, that's the way it's going to be. 
you know what? It's not really a fight that I think that is uh, completely out of the reach for Dan Henderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has a height and reach advantage. Uh, he still hits like a truck, so Hector has to be cautious of the, the striking. Um, I think there's a speed and obviously youth advantage that Lombard is going to possess going in there, but... Um, Dan has a, an unreal strength and grind. If he grabs on you and starts to be able to squeeze, um, he could really drain it out of you. And uh, Hector Lombard, I think, is very much of a high octane fighter. Yeah. I think that you know once he you know we've seen in his last fight, you know he looked devastating in the first round, but he started to fade uh, because of just his high output. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a racehorse. Uh, so, if, you know, but he can't, you know, it's kind of scary if I'm Hector Lombard's corner. It's like, well, do you push the pace and take a chance of getting clipped by Dan Henderson? Or do you fight cautiously, but then don't take advantage of the fact that you're a younger guy and push the pace and try to wear out the old guy? Yeah. Because you have Dan Henderson who's wrestled his whole life, who knows how to pace himself and how to grind someone down. So, uh, and, and as far as takedowns, um, the whole judo versus kind of Greco you know, I think they kind of wash each other out. You know, mm-hmm. they both kind of similar type of approaches and upright type takedowns and with throws and foot sweeps. And so seeing Lombard toss Henderson's would be kind of hard. I've seen Henderson get lifted up with singles, uh, but, you know, his freestyle wrestling was not as good as what he was known for as far as his uh, Greco-Roman. So I, I have this fight a lot closer than having Dan Henderson, a three-to-one underdog. Uh, I can see this fight going either way. And uh, opening the main card is going to be Dustin Poirier and uh, Bobby Green in a lightweight fight. And I think that's going to be a great one to, to start off. Always, I, I like watching both these guys fight. Poirier in particular, I think, has looked good since his move up to lightweight. So this is a very strong card in uh, L.A. that we're going to be uh, out there for. You know, um, you would think a lot of times, you know, on a weaker card, uh, maybe it suffers more with a, a, a main event change, like when Chris Weidman is 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 hurt, Bisbing is uh, getting the short notice fight, but still very strong uh, main card, top to bottom. So I'm looking forward to being there in person for that one uh, in L.A. All right, Frank, uh, it's time for us to read uh, a couple of comments off of our iTunes page. You know, we. Um, Really appreciate anybody taking the time to go to our iTunes page and clicking on those five stars, giving us that five-star review. And if you have time, leave a uh, favorable comment. We like to read these on the air, and we got a couple of new ones. I want to read these five-star reviews to you. This one uh, comes to us, Frank, from Whatever Mike. He says, these two hooligans are the real dynamic duo. Them chumps, Batman and Robin, have nothing on Frank and Richard." I love how Frank's soft but strong tone compliments Richard's flow and style. You two gentlemen have found a faithful fan. Amen, brothers. I like that. He characterizes you with a soft but strong tone. So if we do any Halloween things together, I'm not going as Robin. <laughs> I think you would look much better in uh, the, the green tights. Yeah, as a for boy sure. wonder. <laughs> uh, this one from Satisfaction Not Guaranteed. That's their username on uh, iTunes. He says, Frank's fight analysis is always on point, and Richard keeps the show moving forward. Great chemistry between the two of them. We appreciate that. And finally, this one. I think this, that was a way of saying that you cut me off. And- I think it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I save you from yourself. I just, yeah. I just go off. I'm like, how many times, uh, you know, one of these times you have to like uh, not edit the parts where I go, edit. Where am I? Yeah. Where, <laughs> what were we talking about? What were we talking about? Who are you? <laughs> how did you get into my house? Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. 
Uh, and then this five-star review, Frank, from Brandon Mall. He says, I've been, or Mally, uh, I, he says, uh, I've been listening to the podcast for about two months now. I enjoy the new segment where Frank is talking to past opponents. I can't wait for more of those installments. I want to thank Richard for bringing the champions to my attention. It's an amazing documentary that I'm happy to uh, have been informed about. Anyone who enjoys MMA should check out the podcast. Well, thank you, Brandon, for that, and especially for the uh, mention for my dog Mel's uh, documentary, The Champions, which is now on Netflix in the new releases section. I always like it when my worlds kind of happily collide, and, and obviously that's going to be uh, happening here in a couple of days when you are, and I are in L.A. And Paul Stanley from KISS is going to be uh, co-hosting Phone Booth Fighting with us, who's my childhood hero. But uh, it's been really exciting to see the number of our listeners that are watching my dog Mel's documentary, The Champions, on Netflix and commenting on it. All right, well, uh, that is going to about do it for this week's uh, Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was coming But they fought with